Welcome to another edition of the Royal the Lions UK podcast, episode 121. It's the final countdown. Yes, it's the last episode before the 2022 NFL Draft. My name is Matthew Turner, alongside co-host Ryan and Steve Tom. And as you can see, very special guest from Pro Football Network, Oliver Hodgkinson. How are you doing, boys? Good. The draft is nearly here. Finally. Yeah, yeah. I can't quite believe that we're almost there. It's ridiculous. And still no one knows what's going on. No one knows what's happening. Anyone know who's going one overall? <laughs> no? Good stuff. Right, we can break all of that down in the coming hour and a bit or so. Uh, just a little bit of preamble to start. Don't forget our Discord channel. Do hit us up on Twitter. DM us. We'll send you the link for that. College Football Podcast over the last year has brought you some of the best in what's been happening. So, do go and check that out. The last one was last week, breaking down the last of the Pro Day stuff and what have you. Uh, please don't forget to like and sub the, the video, uh, rate, review, whatever you can do for us. That would be fantastic. We're now a Twitch affiliate, so if you are subscribed to Prime and you can throw us one of those free subs, don't bother doing a paid one because we're not worth it. But one of those free ones, crack on with that. Um, we also interviewed Eric Schlitt and Ryan Matthews from Pride of Detroit recently. You want to go and listen to those because it's really, really good stuff. We also broke down our full 32 team, well, maybe not 32 because not many are in the first round, but first uh, round mock drafts, so go and have a look at those two. One bit of news to bring you this week, and so we're going to get straight into the interview, but the one bit of news we have is that the Lions' number uh, ninth pick in this draft isn't the ninth pick at all. Number 234 was believed to be the Lions. It was a pick used to trade for Trinity Benson last year. Someone perhaps not long for the roster. It was believed to be a conditional pick with the conditions not met. It appears as though that was inaccurate. It wasn't conditional at all. And that pick is with... I actually have no idea who Benson came... Sorry, Steve? Denver. Denver. Yeah, he came for the Broncos. There we go. So that pick is Denver's probably. So we only have eight picks this year. And our seven-round mock drafts are likely going to be... Six round mock drafts, but there we go. Right, let's get straight into talking to Oliver. Um, you work for Pro Football Network now, but you also work for and do work for Touchdown and Fan Sided. Uh, you're also the co host of the College Football Chaps podcast, which I've been listening to and, and keeping up with, which is really, really good stuff. Just want to go back to the start, though. You're from actually not too far away from where Ant lives because he's in Chesterfield, you're in Derbyshire. Um, how did you come into the NFL to begin with? Um, so that's a great question. I know, like a lot of UK fans, like I, I didn't understand the NFL um, at first. As I, I didn't get it at all. And my my brother actually was like, "Hey, sit down and watch a game with me. I'll explain like the rules. I'll explain to you what's happening." So, like like you, you you guys will know as as NFL fans, you speak to the average person on the street. They're like, oh, I, I don't get it. Why does it stop and start so much?" And that's exactly what I was like. And my brother was like, "Watch a game with me." Uh, I'll talk you through it, explain some of the stuff. And 
I think like like the, the most of us are you know in in this call right now. Once you understand the game and you get to know a what's happening, but b the the nuances of the game, this the strategic and schematic element of it. Um, it's just such an incredible chess piece of a game. Such an incredible and, and when you understand the athletic element behind it, because again you see a lot of stop start, you think. God, you know, you, you you see a defensive or offensive lineman that weighs 320 pounds, you think these are some fat guys running around on the field. When you understand the athletic um skill, talent, ability that, that goes into the game, there's so much to to love. So when you so my, my brother got it me into it, watching some um watching some games, playing some Madden, like a really old version of Madden, Brett Favre on the front cover. I can't remember which Madden that was. Um, but so he, he got me into the game and, and my love from it just grew from there. And so I'm, I'm guessing that you started with the NFL because obviously you're a kind of draft and, and college football expert at, at Pro Football Network. But your your initial interest was in the NFL and then you kind of moved over. How, how did that come about? So, um, so I was like, say, got into the NFL, big fan of the NFL, and we were, um, we were at a party one New Year's and um, we didn't have, like, obviously, in this country, BT Sport carries college football we didn't have that at home um and we were at a new year's party and they got bt sport put on a new year's six game i think boise state were playing and there was like eighty hundred thousand people watching college football and it was like it blew my mind because obviously you don't you don't like there's no equivalent in this country you can't and again when you try to explain college football to people you, you can't explain it because there is no equivalent in this country and and i was just hooked on the game the the, the pageantry of it all and obviously being an nfl fan trying to understand the nfl draft process when you know when you in my early fandom wanting to know where nfl prospects came from and that's you know it all came into together nicely and i actually started writing and um, when i when i started doing it as a hobby writing about college football for a website in the uk and um, so i i actually started Although I started as an NFL fan, and my actual writing experience started with college football. So you just started writing about it as a hobby and submitting articles to some people, and they kind of took you up on that, did they? Is that how that came about? Yeah, so um, 99 Yards, which is a website in the UK, uh, ran by Liz Bandari, who does a lot of uh, NFL UK-related stuff. Um, it was actually Nat Coombs. Nat Coombs had retweeted a, um, a 99 Yards post looking for volunteer writers, and I was just like, I had enough... I was, didn't, didn't really have any experience of writing. I didn't have any experience of writing, but I was just like, well... I feel like I could do a good job. I'm passionate, I, you know, and I, I, I replied to the to the tweet, to emailed Liz and was like, look, I've got no experience. Uh, I feel like I'd be good at it. Um, and she was like, oh, send us something across of a, a college football nature. So I did. It was published and that was like just over three and a half years ago. Um, so we started writing college football for 99 yards and, and through some of the, the the avenues that you mentioned in the introduction, 99 yards, the touchdown, the Saturday Blitz for fan-sided. I started as a, a volunteer contributor at Pro Football Network uh, maybe two, just over two and a half years ago. And I've been very lucky to to get to where I am now. And, and it, it's all come from that first experience with 99 yards and some incredible opportunities that, that came off that to speak to NFL draft prospects within a, a few months of writing, getting to interview guys like... 
Um, I don't think we've got any Lions that we spoke to at the time, but um, Dalton Reisner, who uh, the guard for the Broncos, he was one of the first guys that we managed to interview. Penny Hart, who's just signed a contract, new contract with the Seattle Seahawks. Um, he was the very first guy we spoke to. Um, Jimmy Moreland, who was a cornerback at Washington. So some, some of those guys who were very good and very good to give me their time and be able to tell their stories and kind of help propel us to where we're, yeah, now where we are now. I mean, it's it's just an amazing journey. I mean, you're kind of living every kind of amateur fan scout at home's dream of like writing about it a little bit, and now here you are taking on full time doing it. Was it was it quite a big leap and a shift in lifestyle from kind of doing it as a, a hobby to getting taken on full time in terms of the sleep pattern, in terms of perhaps the way that you approach it? I mean, what what's had to change for you? Honestly, like it's probably easier now than it's ever been because at, at one point I was writing for the Touchdown, for Pro Football Network, for Saturday Blitz is a fan-sided site while working at the post office from eight till six. Um, so it was actually probably it's probably easier now than it than it ever was then because I'd get up, I treated that like a job alongside my job. So I'd get up at three in the morning, do a couple of articles, go to work, maybe do an article when I got back if there was time. So still churning out plenty of content like a lot of people do in this country and in the states as well um running alongside um a full-time job but i I was just very fortunate that pro football network has developed as a a media company um alongside my development as well so there's you know a lot of hard work gone into it and I, i think anyone that ever asked for advice you just work at it like it's already your job um, and you never know that when, when people see your work, when what what people will think, and you there's a lot of luck been involved with it as well as hard work. Uh, and I and I, re- I do appreciate that. You know, I appreciate that there's a, an element of luck with it as well. But um, in terms of how, the day to day approach, yeah, it's yeah probably like I say, it's probably easier. There's there's a lot of you know staying up till six o'clock in the morning watching the Pac-12 in the season and. Um, there's a lot of, you know, we talked about this before we came on, on air for the show. There's, we, do, we do various different commitments, like the two Twitter spaces that we do now for Pro Football Network. So it's like one o'clock in the morning by the time those are finished. Some of the, the during the draft cycle, some of the guys that we're interviewing are on the West Coast. So that's two, three o'clock in the morning. But it's, uh, it's, it's like I think you said, living the dream. Uh, it, it really is. So what... <laughs> What do you think has been the biggest change for you in terms of your your process? Because, I mean, we've watched a lot of football and this is why we're kind of here doing this. I mean, it, it's not that we're particularly good at what we do. We just absolutely love it. But moving from that to actually having a position where someone is paying you to watch football and give insightful analysis, you must have gone through a massive change doing that and refining your process, realising the the specific things we're looking for perhaps from each position group or, or that sort of thing is there is there any one thing that you think has been like the biggest change from perhaps four or five years ago to to sitting here now i think you you constant and firstly don't say you guys sure you're not just a bunch of guys who like are passionate about the sport you clearly know your stuff i follow your twitter feed and and um, there's, there's a great level of knowledge there so don't like don't sell yourself short on just being passionate about the game um the there is i, th- I always think like to say that you are always learning like you never never stop learning you never know everything you never know 
it's such a, an intricate sport that you, you can never know everything. So one of the biggest changes for me is just embracing that you are continually learning. And I was fortunate, uh, fortunate enough to do the scouting academy course um, earlier in the um earlier in the preseason so may may through to sort of august september time and that really does help um from a number of perspectives certainly where scouting is concerned in terms of being able to um put your thoughts across in a way that reads well so being able to adequately describe what a player actually does on the field because uh, i've always considered myself while doing this as a passionate writer so i'm you know i'm quite hyperbolic in stuff i'll you know when, when we're tweeting about stuff there'll be plenty of capital letters and exclamation marks and damn you know but it's getting it across in a way that is technically nuanced um, and and particularly with certain position groups so offensive line players is something that when you watch the game um, on broadcast view, it's not always particularly easy to see the nuances behind offensive line play. So doing the scouting academy, really talking um, and, and looking at the, the the detailed nuances of things like pass sets and uh, hand placement and, and everything that goes into that position group, which is so difficult to see from a broadcast perspective and, and and as part of that uh, of the sky and academy and if, if people have done it or haven't haven't done it shall i say it's it's a worthwhile investment if this is something that you want to do long term because there's so many um there's so many tools at your disposable at disposal that the scouting academy give you like access to guys like brandon thorne and um jeff swartz and duke Manyweather in terms of their intricate videos and um their writings on the analysis of offensive line play and they're some of the best guys to do it you know so learning taking every opportunity you can to learn from other people um is a huge thing because you you never know you never will know everything no one's perfect no one knows everything about every element of, of football and um, so that was big for me was being able to embrace that take that on board um and just finding a way to um really get down my thoughts on prospects on paper like this is my first full draft cycle of from you know the first of april pretty much the day after the draft through to where we'll be in 10 days time this is the first time of doing summer scouting reports um sitting down and putting together a top 300 board by early october um getting as as grinding as much tape as, as as possible you know getting as much all 22 footage from colleges which is we've just almost impossible to get that sort of footage on all prospects but you, you know trying to get as much of that as possible it's yeah, just always learning, always be willing to learn, always willing to to put the the, the work in and, and change something if it's not working. Just one final question from me about yourself, um, and then maybe there's some questions from listeners or questions from the guys just, just about you. When um, you use the mock draft software, and actually talking to people, I think people actually regard the Pro Football Network software as the best in class now, and I maybe don't think that was the case a couple of years ago, but it's really kind of come on leaps and bounds. And when you look into some notes about a player, you click the report, and more often than not, it's it's you, I found actually very recently. And then I kind of go onto your author bio on the website, and all I see is like article after article after article talking about these guys. In this cycle alone, do you know how many players you've actually done draft reports for? And so full scouting reports, I think it's getting up for 100 detailed scouting reports and that's like 2000 words on each guy 
Um, and then um, some just small, like within things like my scouting notebook, um, my own just personal notes. I handwrite. I'm so old, really. Like I just turned 38 last week, and it's like I'm the oldest man in the world. I still handwrite all my notes. I've got a, an A4 folder with every single like note that I've written for every game that I've watched, every prospect, every article that's on Pro Football Network. And um, the show that we do with Jeff Reinbold on a Tuesday, that's the all the all the notes for that are all handwritten. Um so yeah, there's there's plenty, there's plenty of notes knocking around. But yeah, I would say over about hundred, we've got um the, the final iteration of the Pro Football Network draft guide drops on Friday. And each prospect in that has a um obviously a, a blurb within the draft guide, but there's also a link to the full scouting report, which contains all the background info. Um, which is often as hard to find as actually finding tape to watch prospects, you know, try to do a full sort of due diligence of getting into the background of prospects, high school, prior to high school, if there's anything there to, to talk about. For me, the journey for, for these guys is is as important and certainly more interesting often than actually the the tape that they, they put down at the college level and how they project to the NFL. So I, I like, this is one, one of the, my favorite things is being able to interview the prospects because you're, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to tell their stories. And some of these guys have got just the, the best, the best stories to tell. Uh, and they're, they're people, you know, we, we've seen this recently with some of the things with various social media, um, national draft analysts, national NFL analysts and, national NFL media where there's almost a um a tendency to not dehuman human five that's not even a real word but you know what I mean um to, the these guys are just athletes and they're, they're not there's so much more there's there's personal stories behind it and that's one of my favorite favorite parts of it but yeah about, about 100 in-depth scouting reports on this cycle alone absolutely crazy i guess it gives you an insight into like kind of looking past kent's working on raz and you hear about the scouting combine and actually the most important thing is talking to the players which kind of devalues the whole combine i think for as a viewer because it's like oh that's great but who are they as people which obviously you really get to kind of get an insight onto the players who you get to talk to that's that's really cool to hear. Um, I, if I open it up to the rest of the guys for questions about oliver and, and that journey perhaps and if anyone else has got any questions, I'll I'll come to you as well, and then we'll talk about the lines in a sec, guys. Yeah, I was just going to ask um, Oliver. We we at sort of all the lines. We often get kind of, um, I guess it's kind of like unconscious bias, but in a positive way, where we where a lot of the guys on from the US are just amazed at our knowledge and kind of um, you know give us loads of props when we like point things out or, or give detailed analysis. Do you kind of find that almost in reverse sometimes where there's a bit of a bias against you as a UK-based analyst? Or um, I, I haven't personally found that, I must admit. Um, it is something um, that I, when I was first trying to get into the industry before I started full-time at Pro Football Network, I, I reached out to a number of guys that we've had on our College Chaps podcast. Um, and we, again, that's a, an element of this journey that's been just mind blowing. Similar to you guys, you know, just two two guys that we I'd never met before. We all worked for the same site, uh, ninety nine yards, and we made a podcast, and we've just been able to have 
like, the greatest of times, like the greatest of guests. We've had guys like Dabo Swinney on the podcast and, um, I just, you know, Tom Rinaldi and Laura Rutledge from ESPN and Matt Miller and just the, the list goes on and on and on. Um, so we, we've, that's always kind of worked in our advantage um, being a UK-based podcast because people want to um, be a part of a growing um, a growing market. And, and again, when I started interviewing draft prospects, it was always put across as I'm a UK-based analyst for a site in the UK because I started doing it for 99 yards and then the touchdown. And it was, well, we're based in the UK and it's kind of helping grow the market for some of the smaller level players in the UK. Uh, but when I was talking to some of the guys about getting into the industry, there they was very much like this. Um, you, you might have to work harder than if you were in the US because um, there's that, you know, potential opinion that you, you know, you haven't been around the game you, and you see it with NFL draft prospects. You look at um, David Ajabo in this um, class and you look at Daniel Fellaini in this class, guys who weren't brought up around football, who people will label them as raw um, because of their inexperience at, at the game of football. Um, so, so there is, there is maybe a little element of, of that, but at the same time you do in a way, bring a unique voice, not just in a accent, way which is you know that has been pointed out once or twice uh but you you do bring a kind of unique perspective because you haven't been brought up around the sport and for me i every time i watch a game of football i find something that's amazing to me uh, and i love being able to vocalize that and, and i think sometimes if you're if you've been brought up around the sport you're almost like not desensitized to it but i don't think you i don't think sometimes you're as wowed by it as as I certainly am. Like some some plays you watch, you're like, oh my god, uh, and then there isn't always that level of excitement from some US based um, analyst. And I, I think you find in the draft cycle as well. Sorry, I'm rambling now. You find in the draft cycle as well. I I I've been doing this for eleven months. Well, twelve months. You know, we we started literally after the end of the twenty one draft. We started on the twenty two draft, and. I'm still like wowed by like Malik Willis at his um, pro day, just how much he loves the game of football. And and you see a lot of cynicism in some arms of um, American media because they're like, oh, you know, this guy threw four interceptions against the three interceptions against Ole Miss. And, oh, and I'm just like, look, this is a dude who loves football. Like he's out there having fun. Why can't you just like find the fun behind that? Because you, for me, you can do both. You can go, oh well, Malik Willis has his flaws and his, you know, his, his upside. But he's also a kid who's like out there having fun playing sport, and like I find that fun. Like I, I, I love the fact that I get to be around that like element of excitement about something. It's great. I think um, when you, when you look at say UK commentators commentating on like football, I like soccer. There's a lot of pundits that look like quite jaded and bored with watching football. In the UK, and then when you see US or you know sort of um, people from abroad commentating on football, they just bring that energy back. So I yeah. kind of wonder whether it's the flip side of it works for us because there's probably a lot of people in the, the US that have just been watching football for thirty years and maybe have just like fallen out of love a bit with it. And they might be experts, but they don't have that like passion that a, a, a newcomer might bring. I think whenever you can bring like when you, an element of refreshment to something. I think that's huge, you know, and it's like it's like you say with with football in our country. There is you do find the same people doing the same thing for 20, 30, 
40 years and you know I guess it must get jaded I hope I never feel like that about American football or, or anything that I'm doing because it's you know it's it is exciting and it's so much um there's so much that changes like game to game minute to minute in in, in the sport that I don't know how you could ever get bored. I used to look at the free agency period that we've just had. Like, there's been never anything that's been um, as wild as the NFL free agency period this this last time. And I, I don't know how you get bored of that. I, I gotta admit. Is there a player you mentioned? The interviews are some of your favorite parts of the job. Is there a player you've naturally gravitated towards following an interview and really wanted to root for as a result? Yeah, yeah, loads. Um, and like we talked about Penny Hart and Jimmy Morland. Like they were the first two guys I ever interviewed. And um, and just like Penny Hart came on, it was a video call. I wasn't expecting it. I was just thought it was going to be an audio call. It was a video call. He came on, big smile, full of energy, um, and he was um, he just answered so eloquently and passionately, and just answered everything. There was never like standoffish and. Um, sometimes when you speak to more high-profile players, you know you can feel that media training where there's very sort of stock answers to questions. And, he, and even though I try and keep the interviews of a different format, I like to talk about how they got to where they are rather than obsessing over the, the NFL draft process. So we'll talk about high school. We'll talk about growing up in wherever they grew up in. We'll talk about some of the, the cool stuff that they do on and off the field in their college career. Even with like trying to vary questions up like that, some of the um, the higher level um, guys have. There's a lot of media training clearly already at play, and there's a lot of almost not wanting to be tripped up by a question and give an answer that puts their career in jeopardy, sort of thing. So, um, so th- those two guys from the first side, Dalton Reisner was was a great guy because, uh, as you'll have seen um, during the NFL draft process in that year the off-field work that he did with children's charities in his local community and stuff was it was just amazing to talk to about what his foundation meant to him and um, so anyone any guys like that when they they open up about something that means so much to them off the field um a Caleb Evans in this cycle the cornerback from Missouri kids set up a foundation when he was like 15 years old to give back to kids in McKinney Texas uh, and watching him talk about that was was just incredible so there's 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 the way off off field stuff where there's um where they've got great stories where they've they've given off the field is incredible and then i I think of a guy like grant morgan at arkansas who is in this draft class and is likely going to be an undrafted free agent but when you talk to him you cannot fail to root for the kid because he was a walk-on at arkansas underrated his whole entire life and his whole story is that like no one believed in me and he said um, it was a quote that was like when your self-confidence overcomes your self-doubt you know you're going to be okay and it's like that just resonated throughout his entire interview and I was just like came off it. and the first thing I always like I tweet after the interviews like oh shout out to ex-player for spending the time because uh, like I said before it is an, it is a privilege it is an honor for these guys to give up the time at what is a very busy time to talk to some guy from the UK about football. And um, when I came off, when I came off the call with Grant Morgan, I was like, look, there isn't a guy that you'll find that is easier to root for than, than Grant Morgan. Uh, and, and that was it. Like, so and Jeffrey, Gunn, I'll, I'll name drop one more. Jeffrey Gunner from coastal Carolina was a kid 
who I think is extremely underrated in this draft class. And for the first 15 minutes of my interview with Jeffrey Gunter, I couldn't get my headphones to work. He couldn't get his headphones to work. And it was just like, oh God, this is just the worst. And then we finally got the the audio stuff sorted out. Kid didn't stop beaming from ear to ear like the entire time and talking about Coastal Carolina, which, you know, there's been such a great college football story. And to hear him talk about that. And then he he um he was a kid who entered the transfer portal. Um, to go back home to be closer to his uh, his mom who was going through a tough time at home, hearing him talk about that, um, and then to go back to Coastal and have the season that they had, and uh, just 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 incredible story. And and when you know a player is so underrated and you can see the talent, like I wrote his scouting report, and that's how I ended up interviewing him because he was like, "Oh, thanks," and I was like, "Look, if you ever want to speak to us, I want to tell your story. Let's make it happen." And and we we speak frequently. Um, so yeah, guys like that are just they're just so easy to root for. All right, we've got a couple of questions in um actually mainly about at this point that scouting academy that you mentioned. So yeah, um who ran that? Um so the, the scouting academy, if you go on I think it's scoutingacademy.com, it's not a very difficult website, but if you just go put scouting academy into Google, it's run by a guy called Dan Hartman. Um, it isn't the cheapest thing you'll ever do. And thankfully, I was very fortunate that work paid for it. Um, but it's a, it's a 16 week semester where you get to choose which position groups you want to study in order. They tell you about um, uh, grading scales, how to properly analyze tape. Um, and I, I believe I, I think the next semester of that starts in May. Um, so if you yeah, I think it's skyandacademy.com or if you just Google Sky and Academy, it's not hard to find. It's ran by a guy called Dan Dan Hartman. Um, I think he was, I think formerly a um he was involved in the league. I think he was a scout for for a couple of different NFL teams. Um and guys like Lewis Riddick are involved with it. Um I mentioned before some of the offensive line gurus, they put their time towards it. Um so there's there's a lot of, of high-level talent and you, there, there is, um, there is potential when you've got that qualification to, um, to, to take that to another level, depending on what it is that you do. I know that they um, have pro- provided uh, job opportunities off the back of that for you know working actually with NFL teams, but also working in national media, which working with college football teams, very, um, very open avenues there that you can use that from depending on what it is that you want to do obviously fantastic okay um cool down rat also asked are there any other courses out there to aid deeper knowledge of the game so is there how how are you looking to improve your process now that that's all all done with and so the scouting academy you can actually do multiple semesters of if you like i say it's a 16 week thing so you can go back but there's if you, you look on youtube there's all sorts of um um different positional classes videos um Oh, I'm trying to think of the there's a, a specific quarterback one that I can't remember the name of off the top of my head. Is that JTO uh, Sullivan? Yes, that's your man. JTO Sullivan is um very good um for if you want to understand the nuances of quarterback play. Um guys like um Brandon Thorne do um uh, trench, I think it's trench warfare, I think is his um substack which there's so much information on the nuances of, of both offensive and defensive line play um, on there. There's, yeah, wh- wherever you 
whatever you want to know about the game is always an avenue to be able to find out that information. All right, let's move on to talk about the Lions. And I first want to kind of just go back to the previous draft, just because it's interesting to talk about how people think that we did. If you go back to kind of after day three, when it's all been said and done, the Lions class of Saul, Onzerike, McNeil, Melifonwu, Barnes, Jefferson, how did you feel that they did in terms of like a value perspective coming out with, with those guys? Were you pretty confident that they would be successes? When you sent me this over earlier, there was one glaring omission from that list of 2021 NFL draft prospects, and that was Amon Ra St. Brown. Yes, there was. Thank your pardon. <laughs> and that was, I looked at it and I was like, oh, I presume there's going to be, I presume there's going to be a question specifically about St. Brown because, like, I don't know how you, you, no, you, no. <laughs> you, you, look, you look at that class, and yeah, it's Penny Sewell's a slam dunk for me. And, and personally, I love what the Lions did in terms of you get a cornerstone for your offensive line like Penny Sewell and it doesn't really matter what you do at quarterback in this draft if you're the Lions because you know your offensive line is set and you've got Jared Goff obviously so if you take a quarterback in this class or you take a quarterback in the next class you don't have those worries about putting like the Jacksonville Jaguars situation so the Jaguars drafted Trevor Lawrence put him behind that abysmal offensive line and failed him, for want of a better phrase. Um, the Lions, have, for me, is that's how you should build a team. Have your offensive line set first and then get your quarterback. So with Penny Sewell and some of those other offensive line pieces, the offensive line is set, right, for five years in Sewell's case because there's no way he goes and doesn't get his fifth-year option. So you've got that offensive line set now. Um, so I love that pick. I loved it at the time. I love it now. He worked out perfectly. I think he's everything that the Detroit Lions imagined they were getting with Penny. So I think they saw that last year. Um, the rest of the obviously I'm on Ross and Brown. Let's go straight to him because the value there, even on draft night, I was like, how the hell has he slid to where he slid? And and I work with a couple of Detroit Lions fans, and during the draft we have um, we have a call video call. Throughout, running throughout and Detroit Lion fans were like yes come on um, what great and, and look and look what he turned out to be last year you know it's not just the the headline numbers of the 900 and whatever yards it was off the top of the top of my head is like 75% of his um, targets were caught like for a rookie receiver you, you can't ask for a, a deal more than that 10 yards a catch the five touchdowns the ability to add yardage after the catch. I think he those 912 yards, it was split pretty much 50-50 between yards before and after the catch. So, like, that, that's a, a kid that you've got an absolute steal on. Um, and then you, you look at some of the other guys. Melifon, who was a, a cornerback that I really liked in the class. Levi Onwuzurike was a kid I managed to speak to um, during the cycle. And... As great a player off, uh, a great a person off the field as he was a player on the field for Washington. I think both him and, and Alan McNeil will be guys who um, will be starters on that defensive line um, for the Lions. And, and obviously, there was a lot of issues last year with injuries for, for a lot of guys with the Lions defense. So, on paper, it doesn't look like the, the Lions defense was great last year, but there's a lot of hope to take away from it. You, you kind of hope. You know, going back to the secondary with Melifonu, you've you've got Jeff Akuda. You've got to hope that eventually he turns into the player that he was at Ohio State. 
Um, but in a guy like Mike Hughes, who I'm not particularly sold on. But um, with with regard to, to last year's draft, apart from Jamar Jefferson, who hasn't really done a deal, um, they're, they're all guys that were great picks at the time, I thought, and I think have turned out to be, like you said, a solid, solid draft class. Now, the proof will be in the pudding in a couple of years' time. That's when you really figure out whether you got a good draft classes three or four years down the line. But on first glance, Penny Sewell, slam dunk. I'm on Ross St. Brown, slam dunk. And and some of the defensive pieces who I think have the potential to be long-term starters in the NFL and, and on Wuzurike and, and McNeil. So yeah, it was it was a it was a good solid class. And and we'll see. Maybe we'll have this conversation in three or four years' time and we were all wrong. But at the moment, it looks like it was quite pretty, pretty non-too shabby class. All right. And let's move on now to the draft, which is just in 10 days' time, which is insane to stay. And the Lions are picking, obviously, at two at the moment, um, whether they trade up or down or stay stay there. But it seems like the major players for the pick are um, Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, Thibodeau, Hamilton, Malik Willis. It doesn't really seem like there's anyone under consideration otherwise. Maybe Ahmad Gardner has been mentioned a few times, but we shall see how... How do you rate those players? Because it seems like everyone has a different ranking this year. Some people still have Thibodeau as the number one overall prospect, for example. Even though he's slid down boards, people are still buying into pretty much exactly what everyone saw this time last year when he was the number one non-quarterback. And of course, the top two presumptive picks have now slid potentially out of the first round altogether. Um, a lot of people wanted Hamilton, and then he didn't test particularly well at the Combine. Actually, there was a question that came in from a viewer about what you made of his testing and whether you think that should affect his draft stock or not. So just talk to us a little bit about what you think the Lions' options are at two. I was listening to your your College Guys episode on two, and I'm, I'm, I'm fairly sure that you guys said to go Willis, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's definitely an option, right? So coming back to what we said about the offensive line um, and some of the the arguments there, you've got um, the offensive line in place. Malik Willis, more than anything as a prospect, needs to go to a team that's got a decent offensive line. He also needs to go to a team where he's got a potential quarterback in place where he doesn't need to start this year. And I think that's the same for every quarterback prospect in this class. Um, So the, the situation and the fit is right as far as I'm concerned. And obviously the Lions have got first class up close and personal experience with Willis from the senior ball. Anyone that has been in contact with Malik Willis is in love with the kid. It's easy to see why I had the opportunity to speak with him while he was at Liberty a couple of years ago. And there isn't a more a humble um, kid in this, in this class, as far as I'm concerned that, that I've spoken to, obviously. Um, so the, it, it, he's a guy that it would makes sense. If you're the Detroit Lions, you know Jared Goff isn't the future of that franchise. You could get a guy who could be, because there isn't, for me, there isn't a quarterback who possesses more upside in this class than Malik Willis. Desmond Ridd is a guy who's who's um, ascending in the class. A lot of people are talking about him being a potential top 10 pick, potentially being the best quarterback in the class. For me, Malik Willis has a better arm than Desmond Ridder in terms of pure strength, in terms of arm talent, in terms of uh, the multiple angles he can throw the ball from, in terms of the zip he can put on the ball and the velocity that he generates with his throw. So I, I think Malik Willis has a better arm than Desmond Ritter. 
for me, he's a better, more um, impressive creator with mobility than Desmond Ritter is. And that's not a knock on Desmond Ritter because he's a very impressive creator. Um, but I, I believe so strongly in how good Malik Willis is in that element of his game. So the upside is there. And he, he's not going to have to come straight in and play. So you you can have to think that he can come in and be, be coached up in that system with Detroit, be able to work through some of the, the, the inefficiencies in his game, some of the inaccuracies in his game, and then be able to hit, be able to hit the field behind um, the offensive line next year. That would be, that would be perfect for Malik Willis. I think it would be great for the Detroit Lions as well. The, the thing is um, with this class is, so say you take Malik Willis at two, you're going to be able to get a guy, a wide receiver at 32, 34. You might even be able to get a day one starting impact-making wide receiver. You might fall into another St. Brown situation, get a guy in the third round, 66, 97, versus a day one starting wide receiver because of the depth of the class. Same with edge rusher. You might be able to get a day one starting edge rusher at 32, for example. And I think when you look at the Detroit Lions' needs, they're probably the top two needs. You know, you, you guys know the franchise better than I do. I think, but I think that's for me. They they certainly stink of being the top two needs. So I can see, I can clearly see a path to Millie Willis and why you would take him at two. Would I do it? Not necessarily. Do I think the Detroit Lions will do it? Not necessarily. I heard some some stuff this week about Dan Campbell doesn't like Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, which I, I found pretty interesting. Um, there seems to be a lot of that based on the fact that the kid's smart, has interests away from football, knows how to make money away from football. And that seems to be a, a big knock on his on his character because I, I don't see the knock on his film that people uh, are using to justify this potential slide-down draft boards. Um, in terms of how I rank the prospects that you talked about. So Kyle Hamilton is my top ranked player on my top 300 big board. Then it's Kevin Thibodeau. Um, and then very close company, um, Aiden Hutchinson and Jermaine Johnson. Um, and then Trayvon Walker a little bit further down on my board. Um, I get the hype for Trayvon Walker. I, I, I do. I understand that, especially in this day and age, the NFL is a, a, an athleticism first league where you can coach the the fundamentals and the technique you can't train an elite athlete to be an elite athlete i get i, I understand that but i think if i was set on taking a pass rusher at, at second overall I, I wouldn't take trayvon walker personally um and i i'm a guy i don't get me wrong i, I love trayvon walker's game i love his versatility that his athleticism brings like some sometimes coming back to what we were talking about in the in the first segment like he's one of those guys where you're like, wow, like you, you, you get like excited watching him play because you see a guy who can almost teleport from the B gap to the A gap. And, and likewise, he can teleport from the edge and just it's that athletic ability is just so crazy that it, it just makes you go wow at times. But there are there's still plenty for to be coached up um, with Trayvon Wilker in terms of taking the second overall pick with him. Um if the, if, the, if the theory is you want to get an instant impact player or a franchise cornerstone like a quarterback, 
Um, I, I, I don't think Trayvon Walker can be uh, your pick at two. I wanted to ask you a question because you mentioned Armad Gardner. So, so that, that's the order of my guys. Kyle Hamilton is the top one, then came on Thibodeau, then one of Hutch. I think I think Hutchinson's a little. I, I don't know if I dare say this on the Detroit Lions um, show, but I, I feel he's a little overrated. Um, Armad Gardner at two, after taking Jeffrey Akuda at three, not too long ago. How, how would you guys feel about Armand Garner at two? I saw Tom instantly mute <laughs> after you said that. <laughs> um, I think personally, the, the, the cornerback room is so crowded where we are because Jerry Jacobs came in as a UDFA and was the top-ranked UDFA in the country last year, came in and did very well as a sort of capable, higher-than-replacement-level guy. And it kind of almost feels unfair to not have him kind of slotted in at CB2, and that's before you talk about Akuda and Melifonwu, and Amani Oroware had the third highest number of interceptions last year. So it's a room that, to me, kind of feels like it's full of upside. But if you if you told me that Oroware would get burned for, through, you know, the crossing routes, slant routes over the middle all year, next year, I would totally buy that, because that's not really his game. So his his... Ceiling for me is CB2. And if Akuda can't come back from his Achilles injury, he may well be a safety. Um, and even then, he might not be a good one of those either. So, you know, it's very up in the air. He could be a high-level CB1 if he comes back athletically, but his floor is now really low. So there's so much boom and bust potential with all of these guys that perhaps having someone come in who... I, I feel fairly happy saying that Ahmad Gardner's going to come in and do a good job year one. Not like elite level, but... I feel more confident about him than some of the guys we have currently. And Akuda at three, yeah, you can get hung up on that. And I mean, the Lions fans did at the time. But it's a sunk cost fallacy. It's happened. We have the team we have now. Pick your guy. And if he's your guy, don't worry about what happens. I mean, the fans will. You can be sure of that. But does Brad Holmes care? No. I mean, he waited for wide receiver until round four last year, despite the fact that a lot of people wanted Jermar Chase. Obviously, didn't fall to us. But that may well have been the pick. But then after that, decided to wait until round four. So they don't care what the fans think. Um, I think he's in play, but I don't think they'll go there. How about the rest of you guys? For me, the Akuda thing, because we've seen that draft capital, like the number three pick invested in a corner, I think a lot of Lions fans look at the rest of the backfield, particularly at safety and linebacker, and there's been so many situations where, you know, we've been in a hole and we've needed the defence to come, you know, come out and make a play, make a stop, make a turnover. And they've just not been able to do it consistently. And, you know, I'm, I'm by no means a, a fan of the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but you look at that Buccaneers team that won the Super Bowl and you've got, you know, Levante, um, David, Devon White, Antoine Winfield Jr., there's just players like impact players in the backfield at linebacker and safety that you always feel while they're on the field, they've got a chance to get the ball back. And I think that's the glaring um, deficiency for the Lions. And that's why I would much rather like see Hamilton at two or maybe like someone like Jaquan Brisker at 32 or 34 or like N'Kobe Dean, if he, if he falls a bit, those seem to me the players that, I would just feel a lot more comfortable being on the field rather than just... Because I kind of feel that if we did go for Gardner, we're kind of like writing off Akuda, and I think he needs 
you know, a season to prove himself. So um, Matt mentioned it where, in terms of me going on mute because I've probably been fighting the other side of this argument. Um, so I'm, I'm high on Gardner. I wouldn't take him at two. I think the question more comes down to, let's say that the Lions have Hutchinson at the top of their board and he goes one. Let's say they're not comfortable with Thibodeau for whatever reason and he's off the board. Let's say they don't think Willis is their guy. I think there is a scenario where you take enough people off the board and therefore Gardner is sitting at the top of it. And I don't think because of the scar tissue we have as Lions fans and what happened in the past, we shouldn't have any impact in terms of how Gardner does in future. We should write him off or, or any player. Um, the scar tissue goes a little deeper than that. We we had our um, our first round mock draft last week uh, and I had Andrew Booth go to the Lions at 32 uh, because for me, that would be brilliant value. Um, and I don't think our cornerback room is set. Uh, Jerry Jacobs, fantastic fan story. But he's a guy we didn't think was going to make the team and maybe the worst secondary in the league. Uh, and he did, and he stepped up, and that's brilliant. But I don't think our cornerback room is set. Um, and therefore, I am happy to invest if the value is there in a corner. And that's not me writing Jeff Akuda off. Actually, I think the ideal situation is Akuda turns into the player we wanted, and one of these guys turns into the player we think they can be. Actually, it's Ori Warrior that I'm maybe not as sold on, even though he had a great year last year. If he turns out and has a brilliant season this year as well, fantastic. You've got three, four guys uh, in the back end. You can never have enough corners. And if you do, then other teams are going to want them. So for me, it's just not a, whilst I wouldn't necessarily go there, I think there are enough pieces that could fall that could put it in play. For me, it doesn't matter who you've got defensive back if your pass rush is inadequate. And the Lions for years, our pass rush has been poor. And our secondary has really paid the price for it. So I like Gardner. I understand where Tom's safe from. If Hutchinson goes one, I'm really all at sea because I don't know what it to. I do not want Willis because some of the numbers worry me. Don't want Trayvon Walker. I say uh, Jeff has changed his number back to number one, which tells me he's not moving to safety. He's backing himself. He thinks he can return to that higher state form. That's the statement of intent. I really hope he does. I'm not sold on AO. If given the choice between Willis, Walker or Sauce, I will take Gardner. But I want Hutchinson. So I understand that. But for me, pass rush just really sets the tone. Going to a four-man front as well, I really want to capitalise having more men in the trenches. So I would like to go edge because getting to the quarterback has always been a huge issue. It's a great point as well about setting the tone because it's interesting because the Detroit Lions are in a position where you know that Dan Campbell isn't a guy who is going to settle for being in this situation next year. So the quarterback situation becomes even more intriguing because you can't envisage that Dan Campbell is going to have this Lions team in a position where they're going to be picking high enough to take CJ Stroud or Bryce Young next year. So do you take that guy in Willis at two and then you know, get your edge guy at 32, a guy like Arnold Ebicati or Boye Mafe, or for me, Cameron Thomas as a 4-3 defensive end is just the perfect situation because he's the Aiden Hutchinson of the Martin West, let's be honest. So, like, you, you get you get him at 32 or even later. I mean, I'm saying 32 because I'm high on the guy, but he might not be that high for a lot of NFL teams. So, it's, I think the, the Lions are one of the most intriguing teams in this 2022 NFL draft. And, and we've said before, like, 
there is there's no predicting what happens on Thursday, net a week Thursday, because we don't know who the Jaguar, Jacksonville Jaguars are going to take at one. We don't know what the Lions are going to do at two. And every year, the draft, you kind of, you go in with an inkling. You know, we knew Trevor was going first last year. We, you knew Joe Burrow was going first in 2020. You, you go in knowing this year, I don't think anyone knows what's happening. Um, and, it, and it may all become a lot clearer in the next 10 days. I kind of hope it doesn't because of the exciting element of it will be like when when the Jaguars take coaching, so what do the Lions do? It leaves them marbles and go mental and pick, you know, I don't know. Trade I hope we trade too. I hope we trade too before the draft so we don't have to panic like this. And this is, and this is a great point, right? Because this is a draft class. And I know we've got a question coming about the, um, the draft class in terms of um, it being devalued this year. But actually, this is a draft class which is remarkably deep in talent in rounds two to five, I think. Um, so trading down, if you're a team that's got a lot of needs, you've got, a, you know, you could trade down from two to, I'm looking at the New Orleans Saints as a team that might want to come flying up the board. I'm looking at the Seattle Seahawks, who might be a team that they don't feel set with Drew Locke and they come flying up the board for a quarterback. I don't think it's, I don't think it's happenstance that they, they traded Russell Wilson when they did. I think they saw Malik Willis and they loved what they saw. Um, and you, you, you could, end up get, dropping back not too many places in a in a real fight with um, a team like the Saints or the Steelers even coming up for a quarterback, net yourself an absolute boatload of picks and still be able to come out of it with a hat full of day one starters from the middle rounds of this, this draft class. And you've been quiet. Do you want to get in a particular question in mind? You've been very thorough with what you've gone through, so... <laughs> Fair. Okay. Um, right. Oh, no. gonna... Let's get let's get the Carl Hamilton train going. I, I know you want to. No, I'm tired. We've been running it <laughs> since November, and the haters are winning. So. Hey, hey, I've been running it since May. I did my summer scouting report on Carl Hamilton in May, and it was essentially a love letter to an NFL draft prospect. That's that's how I felt about Carl Hamilton back in May, and and I think there was a question what feels like 20 minutes ago about Kyle Hamilton and does the testing impact his draft stock? Um, I think that the positional value of the safety position impacts his draft stock more than the, the testing. I think you, you turn on the tape and Kyle Hamilton's testing doesn't, it doesn't really, um, it doesn't really show in his game, you know, and people use the the FSU game from this season as oh Kyle Hamilton had this one play that was really good. I wrote his scouting summer scouting report before that FSU game, and his tape is littered with plays like that. A guy who can come down and hit you in the mouth at six foot four, two hundred and twenty. A guy who is smart enough to play both man and zone, understands the technical nuances of both, with incredible ball skills and length. Um, and yeah, there's there's some issues um, that come up in terms of um, his, his coverage ability, more in terms of his ball tracking than how the long speed that the forty uh, yard dash time kind of relates to. Um, but he's exceptional in coverage, exceptionally physical against the run game, exceptionally intelligent. I don't, I don't see a deal of what there is not to like about Kyle Hamilton's tape as a top prospect in the in the 2022 NFL draft class. Like, and 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 again, you know, 
the injury the injury stuff is is you know he Notre Dame say he could could have come back and played if they had made the college football playoffs. So you've got to think the injury thing isn't a, a, as big a concern as some people have, have said. The 40-yard dash wasn't ideal by any stretch of the imagination. It was a 45-yard dash when you watch it straight, you know. When's when's he ever going to need to do that? Like, yeah, pass yeah. Pa- pass me off with using the, the testing numbers from the, the NFL Combine to diminish Kyle Hamilton's stock. There we go. All right, let's get to a few questions and then maybe talk about a couple more players because I know that we've kept you for, for quite a while now. But you, you mentioned that question that we had um, from a listener from Dan Pask, who's probably the Lions' biggest fan because he's on every single podcast that the kind of fan groups do asking questions. He's terrific. He asked, so I'll get the wording right. Does this year's devaluation of the draft, with it being 150% of the size of a regular draft, feel legitimate or have we been kind of duped or trumped into thinking this and the way that I'm reading this question because I think it was maybe slightly different to yours so maybe I'll put this spin on it to make it new is my theory is that the the value of each pick has fallen because teams are going to be comfortable not trading up because there's so much value later on so you know teams in the third fourth fifth rounds if they wanted to get a starter level guy, maybe they want to trade up to the top of the second, bottom of the first in previous years. Whereas you said this year, you could get a day one starter at wide receiver at bottom of the third, maybe. So perhaps the depth of this class, because of how many players are in it, and perhaps no real high-end, top-quality quarterback talent, Willis perhaps aside, maybe reduces the trade value of each pick in this draft. Do you buy that? No, not not overly. I must I must admit um, this 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 kind of been a, um, an opinion that um, there's no there's not a great deal of elite talent in this class, and I, I don't really feel that way. I feel like there there is quite a, a lot of top level talent, and like we said before, I feel like the depth is. But yeah, there's not a, a guy. There's not a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence. You know, there's not an edge rusher like you know one of the Bozers or Chase Young. But there's also five edge rushers who could go in the top 10 who deserve to go in the top 10. Um, there's, you know, a cornerback like Ahmad Gardner, just because he plays at a group of five school in Cincinnati, doesn't mean that he's not of the same level or ability as, you know, some of the, the previous top level cornerbacks from bigger schools. You know, Derek Stingley's stock is, is rising um, again because he is fit. You know, that was the big question is, is he fit enough to, to play? And that's not all my questions about Derek Stingley, but for, for a lot of people, that was the big question. And the performance at the Combine, uh, sorry, at the LSU Pro Day, in terms of not the testing times particularly, but looking healthy, looking fluid on the on during the on-field drills. Now, the testing times were, the, the, you know, the 40-yard dash was great, the vert was great, the broad was all right. The... The actual being out on the field and looking fluid, looking like he could plant his foot without any issue, I think they were the big things. So you've got great cornerback talent. You've got great edge talent. You've got great wide receiver talent. Is there a Jerry Judy or is there a, you know, Julio Jones of, of previous draft classes? No, not necessarily. But there's five guys who will go in the first round because they deserve to go in the first round, in my opinion. Um it's interesting because the, the quarterback situation really has 
changed how people view this NFL draft class. Um, interest, we, we, we did a, a study at Pro Football Network, like interest in the draft itself is down, like commercial interest, viewer interest, people reading articles about the draft is down because people aren't as interested in this draft class because of the quarterback situation. And it's just mad to me because it's, it is such a great class of talent. Um, the 150% size thing, I wasn't quite sure what the question was asking because it's only three picks more than last year. I don't, I'm, maybe I've misread the question in terms of the... I, th- I think it's more that there's normally something like 800 to 1,000 draft-eligible players, whereas this year okay. there's 15 or 1,600 players, I think, because of people kind of returning to college for a year because of COVID. Yeah, and that's, that's a, you know, that's a kind of dual-edged thing because actually every year there's a high number of um, draft prospects. You just don't hear about them. Um, so I think we we started off this year with like fifteen to 1,800 guys in the mock draft simulator. I don't think we were that far. Uh, like, we don't think we had that fewer than, than the previous year uh, when we did it then. So... Uh, but no, that, that's how you've explained the question makes a lot more sense than how I read it. Because I was like, well, there's only three more picks than last year. <laughs> um, let's let's kind of go quick fire now because we're we're running a bit short, I think. So um, Ash wanted to spe- specifically ask about George Karlaftis because someone who seems to be incredibly productive at college, similar sort of pass rush room weight to, to Kayvon Thibodeau. And yet I think... Most of us thought that where Jermaine Johnson is now is where Karlaftis would have been. It seems like they've kind of swapped in the pecking order almost. What, what's happened with him, do you think, in terms of him kind of... He was almost regarded as edge three in top, top ten pick and maybe could go, you know, six, seven, eight sort of area and now seems to be falling into the mid to late 20s in a lot of mock drafts. Yeah, and I think the, the, there are players who have elevated themselves. You mentioned Jermaine Johnson, who's a, a great example of a player who has elevated themselves this season with a, an outstanding season. Um, and, and with the opportunity, you know, Jermaine Johnson was a rotational player at Georgia. Like, that's just a byproduct of how Georgia, A, uses their defence and B, has so much damn talent. Um, so, he, you know, he came to FSU and he's, had the opportunity to to showcase his skill set. Uh, I, I love Kalaftis. I must admit, he's. Um, I'm just, I haven't got my big board in front of me, but I think he's twelfth um, on my big board, um, top three hundred big board. Um, he's not flashy. I think this is one of the the, the problems with Kalaftis. He isn't a flashy pass rusher. He's not going to come flying around the edge, and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily put highlight play after highlight play on on film. His production numbers haven't been great through his career, but he has had injuries as well. Um, but he does the little things of the position so well. And he's so strong and powerful um, that I, I think he's going to potentially go higher than a lot of people think um, than you're seeing in, in mock drafts because there's a lot of teams that need pass rushers. Uh, and George Kalaftis is, is a guy who has got a good reputation within the NFL scouting community. It certainly appears like. Uh, but yeah, he's just he's just not as been as productive and as flashy as some of these um, edge prospects as far as I think that's, that can be the only thing that's held against him. You guys have any quick fire questions about specific prospects, perhaps? Just going to ask him, yeah, when you've got like Aidan Hutchinson, who is the star defensive end for Michigan. Um, 
why do you think that quite a big chunk of the Lions fan base is kind of lukewarm on him? I, I personally, I thought like the whole of the Lions fan base, the feeling that I got from like as, from outside, just seeing in social media and stuff like that, it felt like a lot of Lions fans want Aiden Hutchinson. So that's a surprise to me that there's a large amount of the fan base that are lukewarm. Now I can resonate more with them than I can with the guys who are like pounding the table obsessively for him because I think he isn't the polished um prospect that I'm just being careful with <laughs> being careful with my word. He's he's not this like Chase Young-esque elite level prospect that the um the production this year for the Wolverines would have people believe. I think there are some elements of his game that um that they, he's just not as good as some of the edge rush, uh, other edge rushes in this class. Um, and the production, the first step explosiveness, the powerful nature of his game, I, I get why that's alluring to a lot of fans, especially a, a team like the Detroit Lions, who, you know, Dan Campbell has a very specific way about him. And Aiden Hutchinson plays the game of football in that very specific way. Um, but I think there's there's more holes in Aiden Hutchinson's um, resume as a draft prospect than than a lot of people um, would would have you believe. So I, I find it interesting that a lot of Lions fans are lukewarm on the pick there. I think there's um, a lot of the people that are pro Hutchinson are pro Hutchinson not because they desperately want Hutchinson, but they just don't want us to overthink it and and make a reach for someone else. That's the kind of vibe I'm getting. But I think probably a third of Lions fans are absolutely massively in on Hutchinson. But like I said, I think a lot of them are just very nervous about us trying to do something a bit funky in the draft and it, you know, backfiring. Anyone else on a, maybe some of the lower round prospects? Yeah, well, it might be lower round or really across the draft, but who are some of the guys that you're higher on versus maybe kind of media consensus? As we mentioned, Jeffrey Gunter earlier out of Coastal Carolina. Um Definitely, we'll be talking about him in the Pro Football Network Twitter space in uh, just under three hours' time. Um, he's he's a kid that's um, got great length, um, and he puts that to really good use, not just as a pass rusher, but in the ground game, special teams as well. Seen him block kicks for Coastal Carolina. He's extremely athletic um, as well. Tested really well at the combine. Um, I think the issue for Jeffrey Gunter is he's kind of in between an outside linebacker and a 4-3 defensive end. He's a little slight. Speaking to him, he's he's adamant that he can play the defensive end position um, at the NFL level. Uh, but I think just because he's a little bit in between an outside linebacker and a defensive end, that that's really um, harming his stock. But he, you know, Taron Jackson, who came out of Coastal Carolina last year, um, was a sixth round pick. For me, I, I, Jeffrey Gunter's a fourth-round guy for me, um, but you don't see him being considered anywhere near in that that range um, by a lot of national media. So, yeah, Jeffrey Gunter's a guy um, I'm a lot higher on. Je- not just a Coastal Carolina obsession, I promise, but Javon Hiley, the wide receiver out of Coastal Carolina as well. He's I've seen people say he's a guy who's going to go undrafted, didn't receive a combine invite. He's not, you know, he's not a, a guy like... 
going to set the world alight with speed. He tested quite, you know, averagely about the same sort of time as David Bell um, as, a, as a wide receiver. Straight line speed isn't his game, but he wins so well at the, at the at snap. You know, his releases are great. He's a very reliable ball catcher, very twitchy athlete, so he creates separation in short and intermediate areas with that um, twitchiness rather than the long speed. Um, got some physicality to his game as well, so I really like Javon Hiley. Um, Zion McCollum probably isn't underrated anymore um, after that combine performance, but you, you didn't hear anyone talking about Zion McCollum really before that. But he's a tall, long, athletic cornerback who I, I think I've had him in mock drafts in the day two range, um, which, you know, he may sneak into that now with the combine performance to really put him out there on the on the radar. Um, I'm trying to think of some other guys. Um, Corey Sutton wide receiver out of Appalachian State. Um, I think he's a day three guy that no one really speaks about, but he's a big play threat um, in terms of um, going up and getting in the back of the end zone. Very physical nature to his game. More athletic than I think people give him credit for. Um, can stretch the field vertically, but can still do great stuff in the short and intermediate ranges. I'm trying to think of positions now for sort of Lions-specific. Uh, so we've got wide receiver covered off there. Edge guys, Dominic Robinson out of Miami of Ohio, long former wide receiver um, who transitioned to, to play defensive end, um, probably a 3-4 outside linebacker at the next level, um, very fast, very explosive, bends the edge very well, long, uh, said before. Um, so I think he's a guy who could sneak in under the, the radar as a, an edge rush guy. Ryan, you you haven't asked too many questions. Do you want to get one more in, and then I've, I've got a couple to finish, and then and then we'll we'll move on to our mock drafts. Uh, Come on, you got to have something. Yeah, I've got. Uh, I've got too many on my mind. Move move on. So. All right. Okay. So we have one coming from Ash ages ago, and I just want to get it in there. It's it's quite simple. Um, where the hell is it though? Uh, Reed Blankenship or Sterling Weatherford? Sterling Weatherford. Oh, yes, I knew I liked you. <laughs> well, I, look, I, I, look, I, look, I do like Reed Blankenship. Um, and he, he's, a, he's a guy that is about 40 years old now. Um, and he's, um, he's, a, he's a tough tackler, um, has been a, an exceptional player for MTSU. But I think he's probably tending towards being a back end of the, the seventh round, maybe a UDFA type guy. Whereas Sterling Weatherford's got a little bit more I think, versatility to his game. You could line him up at safety. You could put him in at linebacker. I think so, I saw someone describe him as like a cut price Kyle Hamilton, which was a little bit rich for my liking. Um, but he, you know, he's, he's a similar build. He's a similar build. So taller, uh, bigger for the safety position, kind of like um, Divine Diablo was last year for, yeah. at Virginia Tech. Um, so like a bigger, bigger, more physical safety who could probably play some, excuse me, linebacker at the next level. But yes, Sterling Weatherford comfortably out of those two. Okay. And the final question is a bit of a soft one, but it's nice to finish on that. Cooldown Rat on Twitch says, is Oliver coming with us all to the 2024 NFL draft? So I don't know if you actually attended a draft in person. I'm sure it's probably one of your busiest times of the year. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit nearer to home than, than some drafts you could go to. Uh, we were so we were um, so we had a presence in the ground on the ground last year uh, in the NFL draft, um, 
but unfortunately couldn't get out there. Las Vegas is a little stretch too far, even for the guys at Pro Football Network. We've we've got some studio work going on in New York, but we're not making the journey out to Las Vegas, unfortunately. It should have been at the um, the NFL Combine this year, um, but unfortunately, because of the the ummed and ahed about some of the COVID restriction stuff, it got to like a week before, and there was still no clarity on um, on whether media would have any real in depth. Um, access to the players so it's like there's no point flying out from the UK to the States and not being able to do anything so um, I'd, I'd, I'd love to get across to the draft um, we've got say a little, little one on the way in uh, in a couple of months time so maybe maybe not just yet <laughs> yeah yeah, we're renting out a, a place for a good week and a half or so as a kind of party house we're all going nice. to the UK Lions contingency more than welcome to Base yourself with us, have a few drinks, and, and get down to the draft and meet the prospects if you if you can do that. But um, do you want to just let people know where you are and, and what have you? Uh, yeah, so you can find me personally at OJ Hodgkinson on Twitter. If you follow at PFN365, that's our Pro Football Network Twitter handle. ProFootballNetwork.com is the website where you'll find... As we mentioned earlier in the show, like two two hundred odd scouting reports across me and my colleague Ian Cummins and James Fragosa. Um, we've got guys like um Aaron Wilson, Tony Paulian, and Trey Wingo who are providing some some great content um with a little bit more inside information as well. So yeah, head over to profootballnetwork.com. Draft guide goes on sale on Friday. I'm not sure if I can plug that, but I have done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, that drop with the first first um version of it was we dropped a couple of uh, weeks ago, the second drops and that's got more scouting reports, um prospect interview videos. Um, some behind-the-scenes footage of our draft process and stuff. So it's fully interactive uh, NFL draft guide. Fantastic. And just thank you so much for going over time here with us and, and talking about the draft. It's, it's been terrific to meet you and talk with you, find out how you got here, which is really fascinating because I know so many people will want to actually walk in your shoes there doing that and to talk lines with us. Thank you so much. No, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you to Oliver. And now we are going to move on to our seven round mock drafts. We're going to do it like we did last week, going snake style. Um, I don't know for the rest of you guys who weren't on last week, but if you haven't got a copy of it, I can't share my screen because then the guys won't be able to see us. So let me just reconfigure my screen here and set this up. And why don't you guys just chat for a bit? Oh, hello. That's not happened before. What did he make of Ollie? I think it's, especially for Brits who are covering the NFL draft, it's awesome to hear a story of someone who had no, no reason to get into the game, really, even at the very kind of early stage, just a friend put it in front of him, which is exactly what happened to me, really, other than watching the odd Super Bowl. A friend was really passionate about it and then said, you should sit down and watch some of this. So... It's just nice to hear that kind of story of someone who found the sport, wasn't sure about it, then fell in love with it, and then took almost the amateur hobby route in terms of writing things just because he was so passionate about it. And then that passion turning into something, which is obviously his career now, I think is just, it's, it's a great story, really. 
I just can't believe there's someone in the UK getting paid full time to do it. Like, there must be so many people in the States who've grown up with the game from the age of like six or seven years old, who just have that innate knowledge and passion. That with 220 million people in the country, there's got to be someone who's got that passion. And yet, this guy's got it. And you, you listen to the way he talks about the game. Like, he knows his shit. It's great. I love it. I really hope we get him back. And even just some of the things he mentioned in terms of uh, how people can boost their own knowledge. They're talking about Brandon Thorne and uh, when it comes to O-line play and obviously the scouting academy and things like that. But he's clearly just got this endless passion to keep learning. And obviously the scouting academy is a is a paid, um, it's a paid, uh, not scholarship, that's not the right word, but paid semester effectively. And it is quite expensive, but there are so many amazing free resources out there. I mean, Trench Warfare, he mentioned from Brandon Thorne, there is a paid version of it, but there's also a free newsletter where you get great access to it's information we plug people like kind of Matt Waldman and all these people out there. So, if you do have the ambition to learn more, there is all this amazing stuff out there. It's just, I think it's really refreshing to hear someone who's obviously well respected and getting paid to do this full time is still out there searching for all these different ways to to kind of work on his craft. All right. Does, um, think... does Ollie follow a team? So I didn't want to put him on the spot and have him all tell us who he supports for fear that he would say, like, Green Bay or something. Because he did mention Brett Favre at the top, and I was like, no. But actually, he would have been at the Vikings then, right? I don't know. Not sure, but he was wearing... So I thought it was going to come up at some stage during the interview, but obviously his T-shirt was Liberty Flames. So I wondered if that's just because he spoke to Malik Willis a couple of years ago and kind of really liked him, or maybe... Liberty is his team. He definitely, even just the way he was talking about some of the small school guys, I wonder if he is a, a small school fan. So, Could be. Could be. Um, Ash says Favre was at the Jets then. The special correspondent comes up trumps once again. Right, Anne, you've been chilling back there, but you are leading us off with this seven-round mock draft. So why don't you introduce your number two overall pick, who is Kayvon Thibodeau of Oregon. Yeah, um, I, f I feel like I've finally, after months and months and months, been pressured into this one. You know, I I started, well, I apparently didn't start the Kyle Hamilton hype train. Ollie did, but, you know, we started <laughs> all the way back in November. Suggest we take him at one, two, wherever we were going to to draft really and I will still believe this up until the draft that he's going to be the guy and I want him to be the guy but you know for this in terms of this mock draft I want it to be slightly more realistic for some of it because I've gone with some of my favorite guys later I mean simple for me you know edge rusher is the pick really that we will need there if it's not going to be Hamilton it's just a choice of which one do you want now obviously we've not put a lot of ammunition into the edge position in recent years. We haven't spent high on it, you know. So if, if we are going to this time, I want to go for the guy who gives us the potential best player of the lot of them. And, you know, if all these three, Walker, Thibodeau and Hutchinson, are to reach their full potential, then Thibodeau will be the better player of all three of them. Um, I just feel that he might be the spark that our edge rush needs. I don't want to play it safe with Aiden, maybe having a bit of a higher floor, 
but not the same at the high ceiling. I'm just going to take an entire swing at this one and take him. I mean, you can't deny at the end of the day, he's supremely athletic. The bull rush is one of the best in the business. Yes, I want to see a lot more out of his pass rushing arsenal, but he's got the he's got the athletic ability to work with. You know, he's got the innate ability to work with. You just have to fine tune it a bit. So, you know, I'm going to make this a, a second year of us taking a duck first. We're going to do it three times next year. So, you know, let's let's stick with the school, which has given us results. So, Kayvon for me. There we go. Right, Ryan, you're next up. And you've gone with Aiden Hutchinson of Michigan. Why have you gone to him? He's going one, isn't he? Because I'd like to think that the Jaguars would use common sense and take an offensive tackle to protect their new shiny Porsche in the backfield. So upgrade the garage door, which would make sense, do what the Bengals didn't do, even though it kind of worked for them. I I, I don't really like Kayvon, but we'll just pull that aside. Hutchinson, I feel I'm fine going with a safe pick. Like I say, I agree maybe the ceiling's not as high with Kayvon, but I feel like the floor's a little better. I see a bit more technique. I also think I trust him more against the run. Like I said, I've seen Thibodeau be an absolute liability. I saw Utah in both games run right at him, and he barely got a goal on the guy, like I said. I, I know a lot of Lions fans have put off him when he turned around and said, I don't really care about the Lions. Never been a Lions fan. Not interested in them. That seemed to create a bit of a stir, like, oh, suddenly I like your pitchforks. He's like, get out of my swamp. I don't want you now. But I'm fine with that. I don't care if he has no affinity to say. Maybe that actually makes me want him more. Because I think he is all business and won't sink necessarily his heart into it. So I just want to address the pass rush. I think he'll be consistent. That's what I'm more looking for than someone flashy because we've had an overall lack of consistency in pass rush in maybe forever. I love the Shrek reference. I really didn't think we'd get one of those on this podcast, but get off my swamp is fantastic. Right. I'm having my cake and I'm eating it. I'm next up. And we did say last week you could go for a trade if you really wanted to put one in, if you thought it was going to happen. And I do think the Lions are trading back at two overall. I do not think they're picking at two. And here's my big reveal. I'm trading the number two overall pick to Atlanta for 843 in a 2023 first. If you look at the if you look at the board, the trade chart. That is not the value you should be getting for the second overall pick. That is under what you should be getting. However, I think, considering where Atlanta are going to be next year, which is potentially the worst team in the NFL, that I think that's going to provide tremendous value because I think that first-round pick is worth more than your average first-round pick next year. And to be honest, you heard what Oliver said about the strength and depth of this class. At eight, you can still have the third-best edge rusher and you can also get number 43, who could be a day one wide receiver, could be a day one uh, safety, whatever you want. So I think that it makes sense in terms of what I was saying, in terms of the value of the pick actually being slightly devalued because of the depth of this class, which I fully believe in. But actually, it's a deal that perhaps Atlanta would make. Now, they have signed a quarterback, but he's on $15 million over two years. That is not starter level money. That is not money that says... I believe in you. So I think that someone is perfectly in play here for the reasons that we discussed earlier on on this podcast. The Malik Willis is very much in play for Atlanta. They know they're not going to be good next year. They've got a starter in already. 
someone who can learn, Malik can learn from, um, why have I forgotten his name now? Ariata. Thank you very much. There (laughs) There we go. So, with the eighth overall pick, the Lions are going to select Kyle Hamilton. Now, I think that this makes sense for a multitude of things, mainly because of what a lot of the Lions fans have said about positional value. And actually, I... I've swung between buying it and not at two. You can't take a safety at two. I, I can't decide whether I agree with that statement or not. But what I do think is that you can absolutely absolutely take one at eight. Do I think one's going to fall to eight? Well, the Giants could pick him at five or seven. But I think actually they have other more pressing needs. I think three tackles are going to go ahead of eight. I think there's going to be at least two edges, if not, uh, if not three, going ahead of eight. And I think a cornerback's going to go ahead of eight. So I think... Uh, and uh, we've got a Malik as well in that mix. So I think there's enough prospects in terms of positional value ahead of Kyle that we can trade back and get the guy that a lot of people actually want, which is Kyle Hamilton, eight overall. We've heard from about him already. Rangy safety, can do everything you want. Slower than he'd like 40 time, but his real asset is his brain. He recognizes things before anyone else does. And so he's already five yards ahead of you before you've even realized Kyle Hamilton, best player in the draft per Oliver, I think per Ant, and a few other people in there. Jeff Risden as well, number one player on the board. So I think it's a slam dunk of a pick. Just out of interest on that, would you still do the hypothetical deal if pick 43 wasn't involved this year and it was just the Falcons won next year? I think that the worst trade I would take is eight, a fourth, and a first, a first next year. I, I think I would probably do that. But it's on the proviso that they're going to Houston and saying, can we trade? And Houston are asking for more than we are, so they go to two. Because most people think, oh, you only trade up a smaller distance, you get a smaller amount back in return. But no, you get what the team are asking for in return. So it doesn't align with that, if you're desperate enough to trade down that you take a worse deal, you might do that. But for me, that first round pick next year with the Falcons is worth so much to us, especially it fits with Jared Goff's timeline more than what we've got right now. And we can actually focus on being good this year, and we've still got a really high pick next year. So I love it for all, all manner of reasons. Yeah, the, the chance to get the Falcons... Uh, so I would take that deal, even though it doesn't really help us this year, because I think that's a top five pick next year. I would be amazed if the Falcons was as willing to give that away only because, like I say, they could end up performing better than expected. But yeah, the chance to get the Falcons won next year, I I would, yeah, I might be giving them picks to do it. Maybe not. But. <laughs> right, let's move on to Steve's pick. And you've also gone for Aiden Hutchinson, Steve. Yeah, so I'm going to go with Aiden Hutchinson at two, but... I'm saying categorically we're not going to pick Hutchinson at two because I think we're going to trade down. Um, I think I've kind of like consistently said for the last month we're going to trade down. Um, I think if we have to make that pick at two, for me, Hutchinson is the pick because I think there is uncertainty around Thibodeau and I think Hutchinson makes sense in terms of culture and ability that Dan Campbell would want to go with. So I, I think that is going to be the pick if we don't get a trade offer. However, I think in terms of looking at what's happening, um, I think that trade offer is forthcoming. 
So just let me very quickly set that up. I think that what we've seen in the last four weeks is a massive arms race in terms of free agency. And I think we've seen probably five or six teams making some really big moves. I think there's four or five, maybe more teams that are going to be outside looking in and looking at how other teams have, you know, really just absolutely tried to buy the lottery ticket in terms of free agency. Um, And I think there are teams that are going to be having crisis meetings in terms of their draft strategy, and they're going to be going all in on the draft because of what's happened in free agency. Um, I think if you look at how the board is, it's pretty obvious that one of the Giants' picks is for sale. Um, They've been quite vocal about it. I think the, the Giants, with one of their picks, will take a tackle. But I think definitely either the five or the seven is up for sale. I think there's so much talk around Carolina taking a quarterback. But I think actually that some of the teams that are most QB needy are further down the draft. And that's where the Saints come in, who've just made the deal with the Eagles for extra capital. You've got Pittsburgh, who will absolutely be looking for a quarterback. Um, Tennessee is a bit of a sleeper one, with Tannehill not getting any younger. And I, I can see Tennessee trying to jump Pittsburgh for maybe the second or third QB in the draft. So it just feels to me like there's massive trade down opportunities for the Lions. And whereas I think when we had the number three pick with Akuda, um, the trade never happened. But, you know, would you want to do a deal with Bob Quinn? I think Brad Holmes is going to be a lot more amenable um, and easy to deal with for other GMs. And I think he's going to get us a trade. I, re- I agree very much with um, with Matt in terms of around eight or nine is where the value is. Um, and I can certainly see teams trying to jump the board to get ahead of QB needy teams like Seattle and Atlanta and Carolina. Um, so what I'm hoping is that we can somehow pick up a pick round between, like I don't know, six and 10, where I think probably the value pick would be uh, Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. Um, I think he was the best player at the Senior Bowl. He's probably edge three on most people's boards. Um, and he's, he just looks to be, for me, um, I think we should go with edge at two because I think there's a better choice of safety around 32. Um, and for me, Johnson would be a great value pick if we can pick up that and a second rounder. Um, or a first round next year. I think that's that's where to go. All right, let's move on to Tom. You're going back to back here, so start us off with your second overall pick, who is Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah, so for me, Thibodeau is the best player in the draft. Um, I came into the season thinking that way. I fluctuated a little bit during the middle. Um, Hamilton obviously was in play. Hutchinson, I got really high on. But actually, as I've gone through the process, and this is taking off-field just off the table in this way because we don't have access to that, right? So in terms of what's on the field, Thibodeau is, is the guy. So even if the, the Texans, for me, went with Neil or Aquanru, um, I would go I would go Thibodeau. Um, I, my biggest concern with him is, and again, parking any off-field stuff, is his size. Um, he 
measured in a little bit smaller than what I would have hoped for. A little bit from a weight standpoint, more from a length standpoint. I thought he showcased really nice length on tape and he is quite a maxed out frame. So yes, I get the concerns about how he's played the run. The Utah games, they've really just game planned him out a lot of the time. I know he didn't impact it the way we want, but if you look at what the Lions have traditionally gone for edge rusher, his measurements are almost identical to everyone we have on the edge currently. So Romeo Aquara is 6'4", 255, bang on what Thibodeau is. Obviously, Julian is a little lighter than that. So he fits the profile that we have previously gone for. Um, and yes, yeah, so so for me, Thibodeau is the guy. Um, I don't think we're going to be able to trade back. Um, the reason being, I don't see why anyone would trade to two. I can see why we'd want to trade back. But my, my issue with it more is, why would you trade to two? If, if you're worried, if you want to get up and make sure you get your guy, go to one. The Jags are going to have the phone line open why would you try and jump the Texans necessarily versus trying to get up to maybe four, but more likely five or something like that and get a, get ahead of these teams. So um, I would love us to trade the pick as well, as obviously a lot of fans would. Extra capital is always good, but um, Thibodeau is the guy if we stay at, 30, uh, if we stay at two. All right. Just finishing off um, with a question before we move on to the second first round pick. Crimson Shadow 94 on YouTube's just asked, Kayvon Thibodeau and Trayvon Walker, so your potentially top-tier edge guys in this class, versus Boye Mafe and Nick Benito. How much of a skill gap do you think there is between those two groups of guys? If I go to Ryan or Ant first, just because you maybe have watched a bit more of these guys, how much of a drop-off do you think there is? With Mafe and the other two, probably massive. I think Mafe is probably a more stand-up linebacker. I don't think he has that plethora of uh, technique and arsenal as a pass rush moves. I know Thibodeau sometimes relies on the bull rush, but he's certainly got the IQ and the brain to learn the skills. See, Nick Benito is probably going to go a lot higher than people think. And I've never been super high on him. I've never watched that much of him. But as a pass rusher, He's very talented. Like I say he wasn't on the best line. He was one of the standouts in that defense. So I think he's certainly going to be someone you could get a lot of value with. But Mafia, Walker for me, is Walker an edge rusher, a proper edge rusher? I'm not convinced. I think he's a very good all-rounder, but I wouldn't put my eggs in either basket that he can rush the passer excellently or stop the run. So I'm a bit to it and thrown with him, but I think it's a big drop-off to... Mafia and then Kayvon and Walker. Nick Benito for me is a bit of a bit of an enigma. I don't really know what I'm going to get from that next level. See, I, I feel a bit differently with that. I think there's three tiers there. I think Kayvon's in a tier above Trayvon Walker because Trayvon Walker, you are purely betting on the athleticism that he is going to be good. You know, the production is not there. I know the stat came up the other day that, you know, 48% of his sacks his his production on defense came unblocked or was tidying up that's as a result of all the players around him there can he do it on his own in a defense where he needs to be one of the leading lights on it I, I just think you know you compare him to guys like Mafe and Benito they have much better production in college Mafe just needs consistency if he was a consistent pass rusher He'd be well up with these guys who are there now. Benito, I don't know why people don't like him as much. I said he could be a dark horse to be drafted in the first round there. I think I think Kayvon's on a level on his own, I think. And then Trayvon is, is down there with the others. 
because you're not, you know, you are betting just on his athleticism, and that is literally it. The other guys have produced, so I don't think the gap's huge. Gap to cave on's bigger. All right, let's move on to pick 32. We're starting off with Tom going back, snaking back round. You've gone for Jalen Petra from Baylor. Yeah, so I was maybe hoping I was going to be last to go through these round of picks because I'm sure we're going to touch on some of the guys who we've seen walk the lines. So, um, And I think you're doing something relatively similar. This is partly what I think can happen and partly guys that I want to pound the table for. Um, and Jalen Petrie is one of them. Um, he is, he's a high character guy. He's high intelligence in terms of mental processing and their characters, especially uh, when you're playing the safety position, I value highly. He's got that man cover side. He's really got that physicality side. He's versatile. He's got all of that. The reason why I take him ahead of Lewis Seen, Jaquan Brisker, Dax Hill, these kind of guys who may or may not be um, off the board, is playmaking. What I think the Lions lack more than anything, and actually, Matt, I think you touched on it earlier, we do not have enough playmakers on defense. That was Mr. Steve, but yes. The Steve? Um, that is what I think we need to prioritize really throughout the draft, and not just on defense, on offense too, but we do not have enough playmakers. And Petrie, for me, out of all those, I'm going to say second-tier safeties, putting Hamilton in his, in his own kind of unicorn tier, Petrie is the biggest playmaker of that bunch. And I also think he's a perfect fit for the Lions, especially with, um, with Tracy Walker, who's going to predominantly play deep. Petrie is not at his best when he's back. In fact, he rarely did it when he was a Baylor. I think he has the potential to do it, and he started to play more at depth during the senior bowl and showed well there. But where he really excels is playing up and around the line of scrimmage. So he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he hits like it. He's a guy that when we were in dime, I wouldn't feel uncomfortable about him being a dime backer as well if we want to get extra defensive backs on the field. I just think his versatility fits the line so well and his playmaking ability is just above the other guys. So I know he's not as athletic as these others and these others are better regarded players. For me, Petrie, even at this higher pick at 32, is the guy that I would want to kind of put my star on the board and say that this is my guy. All right, Steve, you're next up, and you've gone for another safety, but you've gone for Jaquan Brisker of Penn State. Yeah, so I think for me, safety is the pick at 32. Um, I'd very much like to see Hamilton, but I just I can't see how we get to him. Um, so I think we have to take a safety and address that need um, at 32. Um, so Jaquan Brisker, safety for Penn State, um, He's six foot one. He's got good, um, good speed. I think he ran a four four at uh, the combine and his pro day. Um, RAS, I think he's ranked at nine over nine nine point one. Um, again, a high character guy. Um, apparently, he was like at the forefront of like holding the rest of the defense accountable off the field. Um, very much like a leader on the pitch. Um, lean, athletic, great timing. Um, he's super aggressive and explosive, but um, I think in the last two seasons, he's committed zero penalties. So he's got that discipline, which we absolutely need in, in our backfield. Um, and so for me, he, he's the pick at 32, someone that will can play. He can play strong safety. You can also line up in slot, but I can see him lining up with Tracy Walker and making a great combo. All right. 
going to number 32 myself, because I've gone safety first, I have a bit more of a free choice perhaps at 32 to go safety if I want to and double dip, but maybe even go elsewhere. So I've gone for linebacker Quay Walker. Now, this maybe is a bit out there. I know that we've had some discussions about the fact that he might go in the first round. Other people might um, describe this as reach, but I just think he potentially has one of the highest ceilings of any of the linebacker prospects. Obviously, the Lions have a, a glaring need in that position. He was used rotationally, as, as Oliver mentioned, much like pretty much every player in that Georgia defense. But what he did show when he was on the field was was fantastic, super athletic guy, um, leader on the field. And for me, I, th I think he just fits the profile a bit more of what the Lions are looking for at linebacker than N'Kobe Dean does, who also is on the board at this time. So I, I really wanted to go linebacker or wide receiver at this point, and wide receiver was also definitely in play here. But Quay just kind of fits what, what I'm looking for in a player. Right. Can I ask a question, Matt? Mm. When you taking Walker at thirty-two, were was Devon Lloyd and the Kobe Dean still on the board? Uh, no, Lloyd went in the late teens, and Dean was still there. Dean, I think, fell to the forties, if I'm not mistaken. So, so you, so you take him above the Kobe Dean? Yeah, I think. Actually, I, th I think with Dean, what's really won me over is I, I see what he does on tape, but the linebacking class is so deep with players who do what he does. Now, he does that maybe very slightly better than some of the other guys in this class, but he's someone who's undersized, who's going to compete really well, who's his being undersized doesn't really show up on tape at the college level. But I do wonder if... NFL teams are going to find mismatches when he's on the field. I wonder if he's going to be schemed. I just, I worry that someone of that size is going to struggle to project at, at the next level. All right, let's move on to Ryan. At 32, you're taking another safety, Lewis Seen this time at Georgia. So a third different safety and a fourth different one across everyone so far. Yeah, uh, in my version three, I had Brisker, but I've gone back, watched other stuff, and I feel like Lewis Seen is a bit more well-rounded than Brisker. Brisker is that, I'm going to come up into the box, I'm going to hit you in the face, I'm going to make my presence known. I feel like, coverage-wise, for what I want from a more of a free safety, I think you'll take that more from Seen. Like I say, his, his lateral movement through traffic, watching... His eyes never get caught too often in the backfield. He's not often picked on. He is able to come down and make those plays. He is able to come and take down a running back. At his time through Georgia, he's gained, I think, about 17 pounds across three years, which I think is good. So he's at nearly at 215, 220, which is what I want my size at. I think he's very well-rounded. He was one of the key players on well, historic defence. He could be trusted. He's not the most... There's guys around there probably a bit more vocal in him, but I feel like he definitely holds his own, even if he may not be the loudest guy in the room. I feel really good about him and Tracer, and I like the Deshaun Elliott movement. I think he, I think we've got our strong safety. So I moved away from the pound and the rock guy because I think Elliott's going to play in the box. So I wanted someone to compliment Tracer a bit further on the back end, 
And I think I like able to move around. Like I, said, I think Seam will come from the box, but I feel a bit more comfortable about him dropping into deep halves, playing cover two with Tracy than I do Jaquan. But for 32, there's, there's a few safeties. Like I said, Petra, anyone that goes back and watches the Big 12 Championship, he gave Spender, Spencer Sanders nightmares at line of scrimmage. He was hitting guys. I think he got an interception. He was lighting guys up. So 32 is a really nice spot for a safety. All right, and finishing us off in the first round is Ant, who at 32 has taken Jaquan Brisker as well. So, yeah, um, if I can't get a safety at number two, which I want, then you, you still need one in the first round. That Jaquan Brisker is the second best safety in this class for me by quite a bit of a distance. So, I mean, you know, the things you look at, he's coming from a system with pedigree. That Penn State defense churns out NFL-level defenders, high-level NFL defenders. They've got a stack of them in the draft here this year. So he's coming from somewhere that has pedigree. He himself is as athletic as you can get. I know he was on Bruce Feldman's list of athletic freaks on there. You've got anatomical length there. You've got everything you need in terms of him. And on the field, he's got better. You know, he's been three years at Penn State. The first two, you saw the flashes of what he could do. You were just helping him round his game out. And really, this year, you saw the culmination of all that. I mean, Penn State, they play all sorts of looks and coverages. So you've got the versatility there. You can see him man in the high post. You know, you've seen him. He plays in the slot. You know, he plays in multiple coverage roles. You know, you can bring him up to the line of scrimmage. He's tough and powerful. He can blow up blocks if you need him in there. And, you know, for me, that's just sort of what separates him from the other guys in this situation. I think he's exactly like Kyle Hamilton and he uses his brain to get ahead, get ahead of the play. And, you know, after Hamilton, I mean, most of the drafts, he'd be safety one by a clear distance for me. And, you know, if, if he falls to 32, then, then I'm absolutely going to snap him up here. I mean, I can see the reasons for wanting the others. I mean, personally, I'd love Petra myself as well, but I saw how much trouble Trey McBride gave him. At, um, in senior ball training, I feel that he's going to be mismatched upon a little bit in that regard. And Brisker's a lot stronger and can deal with those bigger guys better. But I probably wouldn't say no to both, but Brisker's, Brisker's the one after this. He's coming from a system that's just known for creating quality. He's getting better and better, and he's going to be a, he's going to be a great fit for us. All right. So we're going to go into the second round in a minute. Just want to give a shout out to everyone who's watching along still with us almost a couple of hours in. Now do go back if you are just joining us and have a listen to our interview with Oliver Hodgkinson of Pro Football Network. Super inspiring guy. His journey from kind of just a guy from near Chesterfield getting into the game, suddenly being one of the few full-time paid guys from England to be looking at the college and, and NFL draft games. So go and have a listen to that. Um, and you're kicking us off in the second round at 34. Who have you taken? Travis Jones, a defensive tackle from UConn. And can I say this is your guy? Yeah, my man. My man, Travis Jones here, Crimson, my guy from the Luke G's chat in there. We've both been really pounding the table for this guy here. But the Lions have three big problems on defense. They need an edge rush. Well, we've addressed that. They need to get better in the secondary. I've addressed that. They need to stop 
teams running on them through the interior. And that's where I'm going for now. For me, this guy is the best interior, one of the best interior run stuffers in this draft. So, yeah, as I say, he's a defensive tackle, comes from the Yukon Huskies, been one of the worst teams in college football for some time now, but don't let that take away from the achievements of what he's made there, despite all the stuff he's had to go through on a team very shorn of NFL talent. He's managed to stand out in a big way. So he's 6'5", 333 pounds. He'll play the nose tech or sort of the one tech position there. Ala a little bit like Liam McNeil. He's had a very productive year. Nearly 60 tackles in there, seven and a half tackles for a loss. He's had four and a half sacks, seven quarterback hits. So you can rush the passer as and when you want to. But for me, his biggest calling card is the run defense. This is a man who two gaps, he can take double teams. He can even take triple teams. You've seen on tape where he can take up three guys at once and just block the interior of the defensive line, meaning running backs are having to go out towards the edge where there are simply guys who are unmarked waiting for them there to take them down. And it's such a huge need for us this year to be able to do that. Aleem McNeil is in there at the moment. He can pass rush. We saw that this year. I said it when I did my tape on him last year that he might be able to do some bits in there, but we need to give him a friend on the interior on first and second down, when the runner's coming in to be able to plug that gap up fully. And, you know, I just I just absolutely love the guy. Um, yeah, he's one of the best run stuffers in this draft. He is what we needed. You bring him and Aleem in to start. You rotate Levi in on obvious passing situations. You give a big boon to your interior defensive line. You stop teams running on you because that's why the RPOs have been so successful against us because teams are throwing from third and short, second and short. You can do it then. When you're stuffing the run and stop and going there, you're reducing the threat to the centre of the field. So, yeah, this this may be a little bit high on some people's boards, but I think it's a massive need for us. And to be honest, I think he's going to be the best run stuffer in defensive tackle out this draft when all is said and done. So I'm taking him there. He's one to watch for sure. Just to qualify, I had one question from someone who said, so we're out on McNeil, but perhaps the question is better. But no. You would, you would play them together. I am Aleem McNeil's biggest fan in the world. You know, you've seen that throughout. If you've watched the pod this year, I banged the table for him last year. Well, I banged the table during the uh, analysis of his tape last year. I've loved him all throughout this year. This is not a shot at McNeil. Nick Williams is gone now, thank God. You need someone in the interior to go in there with him and stuff the run in there. But more to the point, Travis Jones, when he's two blocking, taking up double teams, you need to... You need to double-team Aleem McNeil as well. This is going to give him more of a chance to really push through, get into that backfield and cause the carnage we know he can because he didn't have the assistance in the middle there last year to be able to do that. And even with, you started seeing towards the end of the year, the productivity was there. So I'm using them both and I'm just putting up a big-ass stop sign in the interior saying, you ain't rushing through here because that's what them two are going to give you. And then you can just use Levi in situations where he's more accustomed to because you're going to have to work him in as well. So, no, it's not out on Aleem. This is adding and getting better, not replacing. All right, let's move on to Ryan's pick at 34. And I think you're going to make a lot of people happy and angry splitting the fan base by going wide receiver Christian Watson out of NDSU. Why would that make anyone angry? Uh, that... Uh... My reckoning is I've got five receivers in the first round. I've got Wilson, Chris Olave, 
Traylon Burks, Jameson Williams, that might upset a few people, but Drake London. His pro day for me answered all the worries about him. He looks fantastic. So I think Watson will unfortunately be the casualty of people being sold on Drake. Slips just out the first round. Now, he's got everything you want from an X receiver. Like I say, he's got that big six foot four and a half inch frame. He's got two, 225. He's got able to put weight on. He's a very good blocker. He comes from the North Dakota State Bison, which are a pro offense. They run heavily. So he's not asked to just run routes for no reason. Like I say, when he runs routes, it's because the ball is usually coming his way. He's been a very serious threat for the last three years. He's just come up a season where he had like seven touchdowns and eight under receiving yards. Doesn't sound like a lot, but in a school that runs the ball so heavily, he is a very big factor. He tested off the charts at the combine, run that sub 4-4 four, four, plus 10-foot broad jump. He's an athletic freak, but he tracks the ball incredibly well. Like I say, he has got that nice depth perception. The root tree can be expanded. Like I said, they didn't ask him to do too much because it's not, I say it's FCS. He didn't have to do everything, but people have to give him separation. You've got to respect the fact that he has speed, even if he looks a bit gangly, like a bit like a stick insect. Like I say, he's got that ability to put a little bit of weight on and keep the speed. And I think at the next level, in an ideal world, DJ Chark is just a one-year rental. And then he steps right into that X-slot receiver role and you're able to work him downfield and get someone up there that's going to make big plays. He can make splash plays at the next level. And he's got that nice turn of space as well. So there's everything there to coach. And he's a really good kid with a really good attitude. Like if anyone wants anyone to succeed, you've got to root for this kid. Like I say, because he's come a long way and he's worked really hard to get people speaking about him. All right, let's move it on to my pick at 34. So first of two second round picks for me. And I've also gone for Christian Watson out of NDSU. I'll just add to what Ryan said um, in terms of why I think some people might be annoyed. And it's it's the thing that I heard from um, the Detroit Lions podcast last week which is that his career drop rate is 2% higher than Eric Ebron's. Like, a name sure to send a shiver down the spine of any Lions fan. But I'm taking him here, one, because I want to annoy the Packers, primarily. And I know that they really like him, but I just don't think they'll actually pull the trigger in the first round. And two, actually, the primary reason is that I believe you can fix the catching problem and the athletic profile is one of a guy who could be the very best wide receiver in the NFL when his rookie contract's done with. I think his his ceiling is that high because of his athletic profile, if nothing else. But he proved that he can do it at NDSU. He didn't catch everything thrown his way. In fact, I think he had a 40% drop rate in his, his senior year. But the, when he did catch the ball, he was fantastic. So... Just get the reps in, train technique in terms of catching, get in with a, a wide receivers coaching team, and I think they'll they'll sort it out. Right, let's go to Steve at 34, who's gone for linebacker Nakobe Dean out of Georgia. Oh, I would absolutely love to be picking Christian Watson at 34. Um, and I think I've spoken about Watson before. I, I absolutely love him. I think he is exactly what we're looking for. Unfortunately, um, I think there's a lot of um, chat about him going to the Packers. Um, 
Do I trust the Packers to draft a wide receiver in round one? Absolutely not. Of course, they will bottle it and they will pick a defensive end. Unfortunately, the Packers have got two picks in round one. So I think they might spend their 22nd pick that they got from Vegas on um, a defensive player. But I think they'll probably pick up Watson at 28. Um, So unfortunately, I don't think he will be on the board. Um, So without Watson, I think I want to address the other screaming defensive need at linebacker. Um, I I think Devin Lloyd's a great player. I think Key Walker's a, a great player. But I'd probably just go for Nakobe Dean just based on his leadership. Um, he was, you know, an, an absolute leader and tone setter in a very good Georgia defense. Um, he is a little undersized at 5'11, but he's a great tackler. Um, you know, he puts himself about on the field. I think he would fit in really very well culturally with the Lions and what he makes up for in size. I think he would um certainly, you know, um in terms of his tackling ferocity, I, I think he can play a real role in that backfield, but just someone to make a play, someone to knock the ball loose, someone to take command in that area. So for me, Nakobe Dean at 34. And we're finishing up at 34 with Tom's pick, who is going to make a few people really happy in the chat. Wide receiver George Pickens out of Georgia. Yeah, and um, for the record, I... I like the defensive line angle too. Travis Jones is a hell of a player. Devontae Wyatt, he could easily fall to this pick. Obviously, there's been a few things about him in the last few days. But um, for me, all things considered and given who I think is going to be off the board from a receiver standpoint, um, Pickens was kind of staring me in the face. And I just think he's a great fit for the Lions. Um, Explosive guy who probably would have gone higher had it not been for the recent injury. ACLs just candidly don't concern me in today's NFL. Um, and so the risk profile for me is, is not that high compared to some other um, more degenerative injuries, let's say. Has the best hands in the in the draft, has size, has speed, maybe tested a little better than some people expecting. I saw him more as kind of a low four fives guy. So going in in the high four fours is obviously really promising and, and takes him below any kind of threshold. So I just think he'd be a great fit. I mentioned when we went through wide receivers, um, he reminds me a bit of DJ Chark, but I think he can be a a better version of DJ Chark. Um, And whilst I'd like to compliment him and the rest of the Lions attack with someone probably a bit more um, maybe dynamic um, to go alongside Amon Ra in the slot and play inside, Pickens uh, at 34, even though higher than a lot of kind of mock draft machines and things like that, for me is still good value. You've got to love the aggression as well, don't you? He he plays aggressive. You know, he gives as good as he gets, and we and we don't really have a receiver like that at the minute. I don't know what Chark's going to be like there, but he's a guy that you know defensive backs aren't going to want to mess with. I love him, and I think if he's there, you've got to take you've got to take it into account. You know, he's not injured; he's fully healthy. Like you said, the injury is the only reason he's down there. If you can get a fully healthy player who's just slid because of a past injury, which is gone, the value is fantastic. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And there's there's the clip of him, is it against Michigan? I can't remember, but basically just burying a defensive back off the line. But it's not just that one clip. Uh, it's, it is, it's all throughout his game. And there were some, some off-field flags around some fighting teammates and things like that. 
which make me think that either the Lions are going to be completely out on this guy or completely in. And they're going to be like, look, he had some immaturity issues, but it's all fire. And we can harness that. We can get him fighting for us rather than fighting kind of amongst us. And that's the way I think it will go. I'm just going to kind of chalk that up to to 19-year-old immaturity. All right. I'm going to round us off in round two because my trade down, I've got pick 43 as well. And I'm making Ant a very happy man by taking Travis Jones out of UConn with the 43rd pick. Ant mentioned that Travis Jones might be a little bit rich at 34. 43 seems a lot better value for me. I think that potentially is a little bit rich at 34. But some people may be surprised I've not taken an edge with my first four picks. And here's my thinking. Wide receiver is a huge, huge need long-term for this team. Linebacker, massive need. Safety, massive need. If you look at edge... People think we should take one or two. It's the premium position and blah, blah, blah. We've heard those arguments before. But if you can, this is a big if, I realise, but just go with me for mock draft's sake. We've got a guy in Charles Harris who started the final 10 games of the year having kind of come in as a late flyer and produced fantastically. And I think you're doing him a disservice if you don't at least try and start him this year. I think that the the ceiling for him is actually really quite high now and potentially can turn his career around. Equally, if you told me he had one sack next year and didn't perform particularly well, I'd buy that too. So a bit of boom and bust there, but I'm a Charles Harris believer. I'm also a Romeo Aquara believer. I know that his injury might hamper him a little bit more on the road back, but long term, I think that Romeo can still be the guy. Through three and a half games or whatever he had in, in 2021, if you projected that out for 17 games, he would have had the second most pressures in the NFL last year. He got off to an absolute tear. And if you can find 90% of that form, I think you've got two really good edge rushes. Never mind the second acquirer brother in relief as your edge three. Now, do we need to bolster that room? Sure. And that's why other people are taking edge. But can you run with that compared to where we are at wide receiver, safety, and linebacker? I don't think so. Now, in other drafts, I've definitely gone edge at two. Because can we trade down or not? If we can't, I'm probably going edge at two. But if we can, I see this scenario playing out. I don't know if anyone's buying that at all. No, probably not. <laughs> I love the pick, though. <clears throat> Knew you would. A-plus draft. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's go back round and sneak it back through round three. We're going with Tom of pick 66, and it's defensive lineman Logan Hall out of Houston at 66. Wow. Good draft for you, my lad. <laughs> well, it's almost like I reached on Petrie in, in terms of draft boards, but then Hall was there just kind of staring me in the face. And the way I did this is I took three drafts. So I think it was Draft Network, Pro Football Network and PFF, and they had to be around in two out of three. Um, and uh, Logan Hall, as much as anything, we've talked about the defensive line side of things and how I, in general, I like to invest in the trenches. So I think there's an argument for why the Lions would do it. And then personally, I think it's something you should do if, you, if you're building a football team. And with Logan Hall, 
as much of it comes down to the rationale of wanting to get guys on the interior, but also actually his talent combined with the fact that actually he has the flexibility to play some outside. When we talked about Thibodeau earlier, when I mentioned Thibodeau and the weight and size of some of our edges, a theme that's come through really in everyone so far is the Lions have not been good against the run. And actually, I see Logan Hall with the Lions potentially having the flexibility to play some strong side defensive end at the same time. So when I was watching him on tape, I get flashes of Chris Jones. Now, he's not the size of Chris Jones from a weight standpoint, and I think will struggle on the interior, especially on rundowns. However, I think that he has the explosiveness and athleticism to actually play some strong side defensive end, as well as when we do play, because... Yes, we're playing 4-3 predominantly, but as we've talked about many times on this podcast, it's hybrid. We're going to be playing some, some three-man fronts at the same time. And he is a guy that I'm very comfortable playing five-tech, playing four-eye, but like Brockus does now. Um, and rolling inside to three-tech, but really more on passing downs for me personally. Now, some people will say that's what Levi's for. You can't just rely on one guy, especially as a penetrating three-tech or someone to get after the passer. Where I think Logan Hall fits in really nicely is he has a similar skill set to Levi, but I think is a bit more versatile working on the outside, whereas Levi I see more traditionally as a three-tech who can play five-tech. So it's just a combination of a player I really like, really nice value, and something which I think really fits the lines well as we start to rotate out some of these older guys on the defensive line, obviously Nick Williams, we've talked about, but Brock is probably isn't long for the team. It's maybe another year or two. So it's really just kind of restocking in there. All right. Um, Excuse me for dying on this edge of the mic. Um, I found out this morning I have the Rona, unfortunately, but soldiering on. So Oh, if you do hear me coughing in the in the broadcast, please um, excuse me for that. Right, we're moving on to Steve at 66, and you're taking Alec Pierce, the wide receiver from Cincinnati. Yeah, so in terms of how my draft board's fallen, I've, I've kind of gone through the same exercise as, as Tom in terms of checking different boards to see who, who's still about. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time looking at that second tier of wide receivers, the kind of Christian Watford, Watsons, the Bells, the Dotsons. Um, but I've kind of double dipped at defence with the safety and linebacker at 32 and 34. When I, we were doing a piece on quarterback prospects a couple of weeks ago, I got Desmond Ridder. Um, and I was kind of focusing on watching tape of, of Ridder and Pierce, like, absolutely jumped out at me. Um, this wasn't really on my radar, um, but once I'd watched a bit of the, the Cincinnati tape, I mean, the guy is so good in terms of the contested catch. Um, he's kind of, he, he's quite slender built, but he's kind of sneaky quick. I think he ran a 4 four, one, um at the combine. And, you know, he, he tested pretty well. Um, he's not the best route runner, but he is an absolute contested catch weapon. Um, he's got great spring athleticism. His ball tracking skills are fantastic. He, he can really high point the ball. Um, and when I was looking at Ridder, Ridder was quite inaccurate. Um, maybe not, not wild overthrows, but Ridder was quite often not, not putting the ball on the money. And Pierce got him out of jail so many times. 
with some fantastic catches. Um, and, and to me, on most boards, he's scheduled to go around about sort of 50 to 70 mark. Um, I think he would be an absolute steal for us if, if we could get him. Um, I think, and I know you've watched a lot more tape than me, but I, I'm he, he's not higher on most boards. Ryan, and what do you reckon about Alec Pierce? He's a stud. There we go. Sure. He's getting sl- yeah, he's getting slept on. So you know, don't 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 feel bad taking him there. He'd be worth that pick, absolutely. All right, moving on to my pick at 66, and this is where I'm addressing Edge, taking Nick Benito out of Oklahoma. Now, I know that you'll be thinking out there that that Oklahoma team didn't play the best last year, but that defense kept them in games, and Benito, one of their edges, undersized, but one of the best athletes in this class, so 6'3", 248, but he can run a 1-5-3, 10-yard split, which is perhaps one of the biggest things that jumps out to me you really want your edge rushers to win in those first 10 yards because how often they run in those 40 yards which he did run a 454 as well so if you're asking him to do that fair play but also he's got it in other areas he had a 7073 cone which is fantastic for an edge rusher um good in explosion grades as well broad jumper 10 foot vertical 35 and a half inches but it's just that six foot three 248 frame going to be difficult to put a little bit more weight on him he might be a bit more of a sort of designated pass rusher. And, you know, you might say to me, don't we have that guy already in in the Aquara brother in, in Julian? And maybe we do. But at 66, I feel like the value is right here, even if there's a little bit of redundancy. Benito's profile is a bit more of a 3-4 um, outside linebacker rusher from a kind of two-point stance rather than a three. But I think you can ask him to do both. You can maybe put a little bit more weight on, but hopefully that doesn't hurt his athleticism. I think that at 66, he's potentially going to be the best player on the board. The problem is, as, as Ant rightly said, he could go late first. Like, there's such a range of possibilities as to where this guy could go. His consensus um, draft position is somewhere in that early to mid third round, which is why I feel comfortable taking him here. But if Cincinnati take him, I wouldn't be surprised at 31. So we'll have to see with Nick Benito. Let's move on to Ryan as my voice slowly dies, and you're taking linebacker Troy Anderson, the first of your guys, I think I can say, from Montana State. Yep. I love this kid. I think pretty much everyone in the country now loves this kid as well. He's got what you can't teach. He is the most athletic linebacker in the draft. He's one of the fastest. He's nearly six foot four, 31 and a half inch arms, three, three year captain. He plays Samuel Mike. He will swap all three sides. He plays all four phases of special teams. He's done everything that he's ever been asked for. Like I say, he's one of the most respected players probably to ever come out of the programme. And he brings juice. Like I say, he plays in the box incredibly tough. He comes down well. He wraps up. He delivers solid, strong blows. He, he's good in coverage as well. He has played in the slot. I've seen it. He's able to cover tight ends because he's got the range. He's got good, reasonably good hips. 
He can change direction fairly well. He can manoeuvre through traffic. He just needs polishing. He just needs to be in that strong environment. He just needs to be coached well, and he will reward you of everything that he's got. He will take everything in like a sponge. He's a disciple of the game. He's played multiple positions. He's been a quarterback. He's played on the back end, a strong safety. I say he's an every down linebacker. And all he needs is someone to take a chance on him. And he could be one of the, the star value players of the whole draft. Like I said, I've watched a lot of them this year. And he is the probably the first guy you notice on that team because he stands out. Like I say, he diagnoses players very quickly. He calls players well. He communicates with everyone. He's someone that will arrange people. He's incredibly trusted by his staff. And everything that you look for value-wise in a player, I really want this defence. I think Dan Campbell would absolutely love the guy. 66, maybe a bit high, but you never know. Someone who falls in love with him could plunge in the late 50s. He could still be there in 70 to 80, but I'm banking on he won't be. And I think he'll be one of the hidden gems of the whole class. All right, rounding out the first half of these mock drafts with the last of the first four picks at 66. And is taking wide receiver Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama. Yeah, so I've given resources towards my three big problems on defense, and now I'm looking towards the offensive side of the ball. Receiver is an issue of sorts, but you know it's been a long-held belief with me that we need another outside guy, a guy to come in and learn behind Chark. Chark is here one year. He may ball out, go get money elsewhere. He may not just work out altogether, so we need to start putting resources into it. And for me, Jalen Tolbert, at this point on the board, is one of the best outside receiving prospects there is left here. So let me say he played for South Alabama in the Sun Belt. He was there four years. He's 6'3", 190 pounds. He's got over 3,000 career receiving yards in college. He's had two 1,000-yard seasons this year particularly. He's been very, uh, very productive. He had 1,474 receiving yards, nearly 18 yards per catch. So the deep threat is there. He had eight touchdowns and seven of his 12 games were over 100 yard performances. So the thing to know about this guy, he forms a big part of that South Alabama offense. He got 48% share of receptions there this year. He got 33% of their offensive points, so he scored a third of all their points this season, and he got 37% share of their total touchdowns. So this guy is a massive part of their offense there. He gets 7.1 yards after catch on average. That's the sixth best of any receiver coming through the draft this year. So not only can he go up and get the ball, he can fight for the yards afterwards. He's also versatile. He plays two thirds of his snaps on the outside, but he's also played third in the slot as well. So the versatility is there and he is aware schematically of how to play up and down that line, which not all the receivers in this draft can do. So for me, the big things that stand out about him, the ability to make big plays, he possesses the long speed to really trouble defensive backs and get down the field. Not going to burst off the line to, to start with, but he doesn't need to. Get him up to speed. He's going to be a handful for anybody at the next level. But the thing that's the best about him, it's the ball tracking. When he's tracking the ball through the air on the deep shots, he's one of the best ball trackers out of all the receivers in this draft. He does a lot in terms of contested catches, but he's never in danger. He always finds a way to put himself in the best position to make the catch, to protect the ball, 
but most importantly, to protect himself. So Kenny Galladay, he wasn't necessarily so good at protecting himself at the next level. And that's what you need for these outside guys who are going to be getting a lot of physicality as they go along. The toughness shows, I mean, is... Contested catch win rate is very high indeed, so he's not afraid to go up and battle with these guys there. He's a high-energy blocker. He'll come inside, he'll do the dirty work, and that as and when he needs to. And, of course, that is valued highly by Dan Campbell and the Lions here. And like I say, the versatility to know how to work across the line from the outside to the slot is valuable. Coming up to the next level, the release packages are good. He's got a varied ability of them, keeps defensive backs guessing. So there's a lot here to like about him. There are a few issues. He's had a few drop issues. However, if you watch the tape, they're more issues to do with incoming contacts. A few of, quite a few of them are on screen passes. If you've got someone bearing down on him, he just takes his eye off it a little bit and he will put it down on the ground. That's a coachable thing. It's nothing to do with his hands or anything. It's just expecting the contact and being able to work through it. The route running does need a little fine polishing because he has been the number one receiver there. He's not struggled for touches. You know, he's not needed sort of the versatility in this to get a look from his quarterback. But again, it's there and it's on tape. It's just coachable stuff that he needs to be able to work with there. And then the last knock on him is, you know, South Alabama playing the Sun Belt. It's not the highest standard of competition in the world there ever. But at the end of the day, there are a lot of guys coming through playing the FCF, playing the Sun Belt, playing CUSA. They have the same knock against them. It's just, do they have the intangibles to work with? Do they have the skill set to work with? And this guy absolutely does and you can afford to sit him and work him in because DJ Chark is going to be our outside receiver to start this season you can bring him in do a little lot of slot work just ease him into the season and you're good to go with him so out of all the all the guys I've seen here I think really he's the one I really like here and I've got my outside receiving depth for the future as well so I like him and I hope he's there all right, and kicking us off for the second half, and you're back at 97, and you are taking, and this might be rich for some blood, but someone's blood, but I think you're going to sell us with safety Marquise Bell out of Florida A&M. So I'm just glad that uh, Luke G's stream started up, and hopefully Drew has gone over there to see him, because I know I'm going to upset him by taking two safeties in the top 100, but... I've been very clear for a long time now. We need to double dip at safety. Even with the new arrival, this is just a one-year contract to a guy who is physical, gets hurt, can't finish out seasons. I still want to get rookies in here going forward to protect the position long-term. Now, Marquise Bell is, say, Florida A&M. So they are a HBCU school, one of the historically black colleges and universities teams. Me and Ryan have done a lot of work on this scene on the college podcast over the last few months. So we're quite attuned to some of these players now. Florida A&M, one of the better teams out of this. And he's not the last player I've drafted from that school in this mock draft. But Marquise Bell himself, very productive year. 71 solo tackles, 24 assisted, got six and a half tackles for a loss, a couple of sacks, five forced fumbles. He's got an interception. He's got multiple passes defended as well. So just to start off with this guy, this guy is like a run support enforcer. This guy comes downhill and hits hard. Primarily, you've seen with the five forced fumbles that he's had on this season, if a ball carries coming through, he will come down and lay a big-ass hit on them. But it's not just where he puts himself in danger. 
he punches the ball out. He's able to go in. He gets his angles right on contact. When he commits to a move, he commits to it fully. There's none of this backing out at the last second, which is when you will get injured. This is a guy who's going to come in. He's got the momentum. He's got the hitting power. Um, and like I say, he just really is a nightmare for running backs in. So we, we're going to have depth in the safety room now. This is a guy who you can bring in to protect against the run because, again, that's something we need out of the secondary as well. Um, he's got high-end production in there. So the season before last, he led the MIAC in interceptions. He had six then as well. So you can... You can play him in man coverage. He can turn and run. He has the speed to do that. You can see the discipline and the awareness to work in zone coverage as well. Obviously, a lot of safety is taken later on. They lose their concentration a bit. The discipline isn't quite there when they're playing the game. But Florida and A&M are very versatile with the packages they play on defense. So first and foremost, you're going to get a run stuffing extraordinaire out of this guy who is going to hit hard and he's going to be able to create turnovers for you. And the passing game, you see the intangibles are then again, to work with and to teach up. And we've got two defensive back coaches who are leading our defense here. And I think they're going to love this guy. He's got the size, he's got the speed, he's got the stamina. He's got everything you need there to be able to work him in and really make him a feared part of this team. And, you know, he's, he's also got the locker room presence as well. He's a team captain there by all accounts. You know, he had some issues when he started his career he was at Maryland to start with. He had to leave there because of on-field issues, off-field issues, but they've been sorted now. This guy's a high-character player, and I, I love him. Yes, you're right. It is a little bit rich for where we're at, but we have a 70-space gap now to when we're next picking, and unfortunately, you might have to pick on the, up a little higher for a guy like this, but I think fans will love him very quickly. And like I say, he gives us another added weapon defending against the run, which we've had so many problems with over the years. But he, this guy's been ascending the draft quick. His stock's on the rise. This isn't a massive reach. This is a guy who deserves to be in day two consideration. So Marquise Bell, Florida A&M, safety certainly to watch out for. And I would love him just to finish off our safety room. All right, Ryan, you're next up at 97, and you're taking wide receiver Khalil Shakir from Boise State. Yeah, I, we've had this could be a bit of a reach because the lack of a fourth rounder. If you want a guy, you've got to go get them. Like this guy has kind of got the potential to be an Amon Ra. He's six foot, 190, 195 pounds. He's going to go down as one of the best receivers possibly in Boise State history. Like I said, he is incredibly dynamic. Like I say, he is a big playmaker. He's savvy. He's really fluent. He runs really nice drills. Like I say, he's got nice clean hips. He turns really well, tracks the ball well. He's been very productive over three years. Like I say, he's got a fair few touchdowns. One of the, the go-to guy in the offense for every year. I think also he's going to offer really good special teams as well. I think you could put him as a kick returner, punt returner. I think he's got that ability in the open field to make people miss and commit. He can be slippery when he wants to be. Like I say, is he got a future as an outside receiver at next level? I don't know. Possibly. Like I say, you could use him. He's got a good route tree. He's been very successful moving all over the offense. If you get him on motions, put him on a jet sweep, motion him in, motion him out. People don't think maybe we've got guys like that. Maybe we do, but I bank on this guy winning with his athleticism. He's 
cleverness, his IQ, and his ability to make things happen at the next level when the ball gets in his hands. I think if he slips to the fourth, fifth, which he's probably a day two guy, but someone could get a good first rookie year starter, like you say. He may have limited production, but I can see him on the field in his rookie year and he could grow into a role of an offence. So maybe a bit of a rich, but I've always personally really liked him. I think he could be one of those dynamic returners as well. All right. I'm going for here at 97, someone who I'm picking because, and I'm going to leave with this before I say who it is. I've now filled safety linebacker, wide receiver, defensive tackle and edge with my first five picks. I know I've got five versus four, so I've got a bit more holes filled at this point. But I now look at this team and I think, where's the biggest gap overall? And I think, well, the Lions have got a load of depth in a lot of positions. And maybe I've added some starter quality players here too. But at 97, maybe there isn't that starter quality talent at some of the positions that I'd like to go to. So maybe I'm having a look at the depth. And where is the hole in our depth? And I look at our depth chart. And I see potentially the best sixth lineman in the NFL. Matt Nelson. Who can come in when you want an extra guy. And be really good. But if he's your starting tackle. If he is a guy coming in because Sewell or Decker are injured. Well we know what happened last year. And I do not believe... He is the answer going forward as you swing tackle. So I'm stashing Nelson in the back pocket. I'm not buying into Dan Skipper. He'll he'll leave and join the roster another three or four times this season. I'm going offensive tackle here because I want to shore up that line. You cannot have too many tackles. You cannot have too many cornerbacks as well. But you can't have too many tackles. And so the best guy on the board here, aligned up with value as much as anything else, is... Offensive tackle, Spencer Burford out of UTSA. Now, he's actually a little undersized for a tackle. Started off his career at left guard, shifted out to left tackle at UTSA. He's only six foot four. However, he does project best as that left tackle position, but I think he could actually swing to both sides. Um, the best thing about Burford is I think he aligns really well with what the Lions are going to want to do. He is one of the best run blockers in this draft class. So he's an absolute mauler. I'm not sure that our scheme actually fits with what he can do, but I think he's I think he's versatile enough that he can do exactly what we want. This team is going to want to run the ball, control the clock, and give Goff opportunities to throw with a nice clean pocket, having established the run. And I think Berth is going to align really well with that aim. So He's my guy. Uh, in terms of pass um, protection, he's inconsistent with his weight distribution. That's the main knock on him. He's got really quick feet, so he can recover. Um, but you don't want recovery to be one of the primary things, because that's going to mean that you're not getting set often enough when you're doing it first time round. He needs to get a bit more consistent with that, but that's the biggest knock on him. Developmentally, I think he could be the starting left tackle of the future if you're looking towards the end of his rookie deal and what happens with Decker at the end of his current contract. So I'm looking long-term here, and if the worst comes to the worst, he did play left guard for his first year or two at college, and I think we can kick him inside if required because who knows what's going to happen um, at, at right guard. 
for example, going down the road. So he's got inside-outside versatility. It's maybe not where a lot of people are going late round three, but I think it's a place that we really need to invest in. All right, let's go to Steve for 97, and you're going for tight end Jelani Woods out of Virginia. Yeah, so... Matt, you were so close to getting it right in terms of our remaining needs. Offensive line, you went for that, but I think it's a tight end. I think that's where like the the, the screaming um, hole is in, in that offense. Um, and I don't want to be a pessimist, but TJ's injury history hasn't been great. And I'm just worried that if anything happens to Hawk, um, you know, we are once again um, in a position where we've just got nothing to throw at um, in that area. Um, so, you know, I think in terms of taking a, a tight end, Jelani Woods is from Virginia, uh, six foot seven. He is a big unit, two, five, three pounds. Um, he's a real large framed kind of rangy guy. Um, he caught 44 passes an average of 13.6, eight touchdowns last year. Um, I think this is what we need. He's a super athletic guy. His um, RAS scores were absolutely off the charts, uh, 9.97. Um, he ran a 4.6140. Um, but if you look at his um, math bombs evaluation, speed, elite, size, great. Um, you know, this is a guy that could potentially make an impact and potentially under the tutelage of Hawkinson could really develop into a prospect in the next couple of years. I think tight end, because there's so many, um, you know, schemes to learn and blocks and, and um, you know, it, it is something where the best tight ends tend not to develop till the second, third year. So I think getting in a, de a developmental tight end um is absolutely the right time. And I think if we can get Woods at 97, that's a steal. I am still here. Apologies for that. Right. Yes, let's move on and round out round three with Tom. Who's going for cornerback Kobe Bryant out of Cincinnati, the other cornerback out of Cincinnati, the winner of the best cornerback in college football award? Yeah, the Jim Thorpe Award. So, um, I've said many times over the last few weeks about how I don't think the Lions are uh, set at corner, so I thought I should probably follow through and, and pull someone into play. So, um, again, some of this is down to, to value. Not that I think Obi Bryant should go much ahead of this, but um, I like the value here and I like the fit with Bryant. Um, he is not necessarily the longest corner in the world, but we have those kind of guys in Melifon Wu and an Ari Warrior, um, but the guy is just a baller, right? He he has the highest number of passes defensed in Cincinnati history. He is always getting his hands on the football. He is always making plays on the ball. He is getting interceptions. And going back to what I've said throughout this whole uh, mock draft from my side of things, he's a playmaker. And the Lions got time with him at the Senior Bowl. Everything you hear about this guy is, um, obviously, he is named after the late, great Kobe Bryant, but he is 100% dialed in to football. 
like uh, Kobe was to basketball. This is a guy who is going to be a positive presence in the locker room, an amazing presence in meeting rooms. He's a hell of a football player at the same time. That combined with the fact that personally, I think he fits best in a defense that relies on a lot of cover too, because he is not the quickest guy in the world. That fits really nicely with what the Lions do. Um, so yeah, all in all, I, I just love adding another playmaking guy to the back end. Yeah, it really feels like 97 is just really under where he should go. I mean, I I know that Source is the guy in that room, despite the fact that Kobe got the award. But, I mean, Kobe got a lot of the attention and didn't get burned too often. I don't understand why he's being taken this low in drafts. Anyway, let's move it on. No round four pick, but we're going straight to round five. And at 177, we're back with you, Tom, and you're taking... Someone at a tight end position filling that need with, I think, a crush of the entire podcast and tight end. Daniel Ballinger out of San Diego State. Yes, I agree with Steve um, in terms of tight end. I, I definitely want to add a guy who can really compete at tight end too. I was tempted at 97. Uh, Jeremy Rucker, I think, is massively underrated as a player and will have a much better pro career than college career. Um but I, I just didn't like it over someone like Kobe Bryant. But here we take Daniel Bellinger, a guy who I keep seeing at this point in the draft and I really don't understand why. Again, he's not a first-round pick, but I just see him as a much better player than 177. But he is always available in these kind of mock drafts. So really top-end athlete, which if you follow Math Bomb, tight end is one of those positions where it is non-negotiable really to have a top-end athlete. Um, and he does everything well. He may not do everything spectacularly, um, but he is a solid inline tight end who can contribute in the passing game and move people in the run game. If you watch the combine, personally, I think he was the best guy um, on the blocking drills. And yes, it's the combine and it doesn't mean that much, but it shows up on tape too. So he's just a really well-rounded guy who I think can stick on a roster and be a solid NFL player for a long time. And if you're getting that with a, a pick at the end yeah. of the fifth round, I think that's perfect value. All right, let's move it on with Steve. At 177, you're going for linebacker Brandon Smith from Penn State falling to 177. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Ant made a really good point um, yeah, a few minutes ago just about the Penn State defence and just how it's been a kind of production line of NFL quality players. Um and, you know, Brandon Smith um, will follow in, in you know, a, a long line of uh, tradition at, in terms of coming out of Penn State. He, he's definitely a prospect. Um, he has got the athleticism. He, he absolutely off the charts on his um, RAS. I think he scored 9.99, um, 4.52, 40-yard dash, um, elite explosion, elite size, elite speed. Um, so, you know, he's absolutely got um, the tools physically. Um, definitely um, a prospect because um, according to, you know, all of the kind of scout reports, he is quite raw still and there's quite a few rough edges to, not, to um, knock off. But, you know, he's a, a real long frame, toolsy guy. Um, he's got the potential for some, um, you know, flashing an edge rusher. Um, but at the same time, he's a hard-hitting tackler as well. Um, so I, I think you know, to double-dip at linebacker around this point is is kind of a no-brainer. All right. At 177 for myself, 
I am taking running back Pierre Strong Jr. out of SDSU. So this is a really hard one, I think, for running back. DeAndre Swift carried the offense on his back for the first half of last season before falling off. But all too often we've seen him get injured um, or you know, sometimes just be a non-factor in games, sometimes too. He's a, a real boom and bust guy, and at some level, looking at what we what other teams can get at running back when they've got a good offensive line from people on the scrap heap, and despite the fact that the latest jersey I bought was a Swift jersey, so it's not like I'm not a believer in this guy, but I, I, I'm, I'm not sold on the fact that we're going to actually sign him to a new deal once his rookie contract is done. Jamal Williams, this is the last year of his deal. I'm not sure he comes back. Suddenly, uh, what looks like deep room this year with maybe three, four, five guys who are going to make this roster. And those top two are suddenly potentially not on the team next year. So I'm looking ahead maybe to potential holes, which we might actually create for ourselves, never mind the ones that are inevitably going to be there because of when contracts end. So I think potentially there's a long-term need at running back. And at round five, I think this is where you can start to see value at the running back position at kind of start of day three or kind of start to midway through day three. Um, Pierre Strong, one of the fastest running backs in this draft. If I haven't got his, his scores up, but highest RIS score of any running back, I think, this year. 9.34 overall, but that actually masks quite how athletic he was. He ran a 4.37. Now, when I bring it up, backed up as well by a 10 yard split of 151. Now, the biggest knock on Pierre Strong is that he is not going to break many tackles. He is not going to create much for himself when he hasn't got open space. But when he does have open space, which I think he might have a lot of behind this offensive line opening holes for him, I think this guy could be a home run hitter for this team. So I see you know, someone who might actually align with us very well in what our team might ask him to do. We'll see on that, but but I think he could be a really good fit here. The other thing about Strong, which really attracts me, especially considering what the Lions think about the running back position, is that you can leave this guy in on third down. This guy is a really, really good pass protector. So you want to know why Jermar Jefferson produced really well when he was on the field in terms of actually running the ball, but actually couldn't see the field or couldn't you know, make the game day roster is because couldn't pass protect, couldn't play special teams. I think Strong can do both. I think he could be a gunner on special teams. I think he could be a third down running back as well as actually playing all three downs. I think he has that versatility. So I think the value aligns here. Now, I think he might go higher than this, but most mocks I do on the mock draft software, he's available at this point. But I think the NFL are going to be a bit higher on him. So we'll see whether Pierre Strong will still be on the board here. Anyway, we'll move on to Ryan at 177, and he's going for someone who's going to make a lot of people very, very happy at safety. Sterling Weatherford, who we mentioned earlier from Miami of Ohio. Yeah, if he gets drafted by the Lions, I'm taking some personal credit because I've been talking about him for a year to 18 months, a lot longer than a lot of these, these people online have left. He breaks the mould, just like Kyle Hamlin does. He's 6'3", 225. He plays free safety. He plays too deep. He comes up into the box. He can play linebacker. 
He's played dime and nickel because he covered tight ends incredibly well. He is a do-it-all guy. He is incredibly talented. Four-year starter, four interceptions. His Ralph Scott linebacker and free safety were really good. They were both around the nine. Let's say he's very athletic. He's got really long arms. So he loves to get his hands on the ball, pass deflections. He's got four interceptions uh, across the career when he's played deep or when he's targeted. He is really good at mopping them up. But he comes down and he lays the wood in the wrong game. But he's very patient. I say he doesn't just fly into tackles. He will stop. He'll diagnose and readjust and take a better angle if needs be. But he's really good in run support. He's this year's Divine Diablo. He can play multiple positions and play them all really well, which was something that helped his case last year when Washington took him. I would love to see him aligned because he offers versatility that a lot of guys don't because he's very experienced. And he seems like a really nice, genuine guy. And I'd love to have him because his dad, Tim, as well, he likes a lot of the podcast tweets and everything. Like I say, he's very active. And he's one of those leaders, like I say, Mahama Hayo have struggled the last few years, but it's never got him down. I think he's going to be someone that can stand out and be a stand-up special team player as well. So he offers a lot of value. All right, rounding out round five. Ant has got tight end James Mitchell out of Virginia Tech. Yeah, so for better or for worse, I know worse in some cases, I've, I've double-dipped my safeties by this point. The, the next pressing need on this team is a tight end two. We need a tight end two, specifically a blocking tight end. And James Mitchell should not be here in this draft. He should not be a day three prospect at all. He should be going a lot higher. The reason he is down here is because his season got ended with an ACL injury. Unfortunately for him, started off quite well, but went down early at Virginia Tech. But, you know, don't let that fool you. This injury has brought up a huge possibility to grab a coup and grab a starter here at this point in the draft. So he's 6'4", he's 249 pounds, played the last few years at Virginia Tech. Um, and this guy just does a little bit of everything really well. So he is a really alluring prospect as a pass catcher. He has made some great catches at Virginia Tech. Um, Ryan will be able to tell you Braxton Burmeister is a guy who on his best day throws balls all over the place. Yet there's very few examples of him dropping catches, not being able to adjust his body round and to be able to make some big plays in the passing game. You know, he is used in the slot he lines up on the end of the line he even gets used in motion as well when it comes to the passing game so there's all sorts of stuff that you can do with him there but it's a blocker where he really really excels Virginia Tech very very aggressive very smash mouth team they love to run the ball and they need the tight heads who are able to block and he is really experienced as a blocker and for me, he is one of the best blocking tight ends in this draft, which is what we're going to need. Yes, there are some deficiencies in this game, but they're all technical. Just a little bit of hand placement, a little bit of leverage here, but it's nothing that you can't teach him. He's very experienced and you'll be able to get that in there with him as well. And he plays on special teams. So, you know, even if you're not going to use him much to start with, you'll get him coming in on special teams. You'll start getting him in on that line. And then I think very quickly, he could be a big part of this offense going forward we we need a blocking tight end chronically and we need to draft one this year and you are getting you are getting very good bang for your buck at this pick with him because as i say he should be going a lot higher and it's just this injury that has put him down here but there's plenty of guys who've got acl injuries this year and it's not going to affect the draft stop going forward so don't let it put you off him he is one of the best blocking tight ends in this draft and you will go get a steal with him 
So James Mitchell's my guy there. All right, moving on to round six. 181, 24 picks later. And is now addressing the offensive tackle position with Ryan Van Demark. Demark, Demark, Yukon. Demark. Demark. Yeah, so I might be the only guy in the entire country who is double diffing off the second worst team in college football. And, you know, woe betide, you might think that's terrible. But, you know, amongst all the terribleness that there is at Yukon, there are a few lights there. Travis Jones, especially. But no, Ryan Van Demark. I've been very vocal in the fact that we need offensive line help. We have our starters, but we need depth. And I'm tired of having Willie Nelson on the edge for us. If you don't know who that is, that's Will Holden and Matt Nelson sort of merged together to make one name. I'm tired of having them on the I'm tired of having them on the end because they're not good enough. You can use Matt Nelson as a sixth lineman, but we need a guy who's potentially going to be able to come in and be a good backup for the tackle so he is a developmental swing tackle from UConn he's been there four years he played a year at right tackle he's played three years at left tackle protecting the blind side a job that he's been very good at there so just to start off with right out the bat he is a high character guy you know this guy's a team captain there he's had a noticeable influence in changing around the locker room culture that is according to a lot of his teammates a lot of the guys he's played with this guy is very influential when it comes to field but on the on the field of play itself, at the minute, the run, you know, the uh, the run game is where he really, really stands out. So he is a staple of consistency when it comes to that. He's highly driven. He gets really strong push push and leverage off the edge, and he's got a really good understanding of his angles. So not only can you get your guy off his base, but you're able to push him out to where you need to go to be able to let your running back get through because some tackles don't do that. He understands where he's got to get his guy and he understands how he's going to get him there. And he's also really quick when it comes to getting up to the second level if he needs to get into the linebackers or any of the defensive backs coming up as well. So that's where he really does sort of get going at the minute. The pass, pass in, there is a little bit of you know, he needs some work on his footwork again on leverage when edge rushers are using that on him to get to a passer. He just needs to be able to set his base a little bit better there. But again, these are coachable traits that you're going to get out of him. And this is another who's getting slept on because of where he's come from and not from the talent he brings to the field. So I can live, I can live softly knowing that my two major tackles on the team are hella good and that we can develop this guy behind him. You know you do have Nelson there until you're ready to use him, but I do want to swing tackle. It worked with Crosby. He can work both sides. It's just a plug-and-play guy, as and when you need him. He'll be the next guy here. And, um, yeah, don't let the fact that he played for UConn put you off him. All right, Ryan, your first sixth rounder is defensive lineman Zach Van Valkenberg from Iowa. Yep. I'll keep it simple, this guy. You won't find many better day three run stuffers. He sniffs the ball, he finds the ball, he tackles the ball. Run defence on Iowa. He was the leader in the front. He's a fantastic tackler. And despite being a bit stiff, not that fast, not the best hips, you might be able to teach your passer, rush the passer. He got five and a half sacks and a pair of force fumbles this year, so serviceable. For what we need on day three late round, he's a project, but he offers that. I'd say he's he's rugged. I'm starting off the sixth round at 181 with safety Smoke Monday from Auburn. I know he's a bit of a draft crush of a lot of Lions fans. 
one of the hardest hitters in this draft. One of his weaknesses is actually he tries to go for the big play too much and can actually switch off and miss tackles. But he's actually a really, really good tackler when he locks in. Perhaps lacks a little bit of top-end speed, only running a 4-5-2. But we're not letting it be a knock on Hamilton that he ran even slower than that. So I don't know why we haven't got him too much for it. I think the smoke could be a really good fit with what I've done here with Hamilton actually going at number 8. So the Lions are going to play three safeties a lot. But with Hamilton and Walker both kind of allying better, deeper, smoke can perhaps play that sort of... Um, strong safety role kind of around and in the box trying to really lay the hit down he's a big play machine he's had a, a pick six in each of the last three seasons so you know the guy has a nose for the football and can take it back to the house the other thing about him is that I think he could do a job on special teams too one of the biggest things that Auburn Wire says is his one of his better traits is that he's a massive leader on that Auburn team that actually has done quite well in the last few seasons so I think that he could be a really great pick if he falls this far. Now, in terms of where he might go, some people think he's a, a late day two pick. So, you know, he could be going somewhere in the 80s or 90s. But equally, I've seen his stock fall for no other reason other than other people's stock is perhaps rising. In, in several of the mock drafts I've done recently, he's been available at this position. So I feel comfortable saying that he might be here at this point. I think that in him, you definitely get a guy who can be a rotational piece with a two-man system, but is very at home in your sub-packages. All right, Steve, you're next up at 181, and you're taking cornerback Dallas Flowers from Pittsburgh. Yeah, the cornerback so far, because um, obviously with Akuda coming back, um, Owarie and um, you know Jerry Jacobs come back, um, I, but I think you probably could take someone who is a prospect. Um, and Dallas Flowers kind of ticks that box. Um, he's six foot one, um, ran a four forty at the at his pro day. Um, he's you know tall, fast, long. He's also a kickoff returner. He broke the Pittsburgh single season kickoff returning record. Um, with a 98 and 95 yarder and I think he averaged 34 yards per return so you know he's got some um, special teams versatility um, but you know also productive in terms of um, playing corner and, and had four picks last season so I think Dallas Flowers could be a good one at 181. He sounds like a bad guy out of like a, a western or something like that doesn't he? Yeah that Dallas Flowers. <laughs> Try that out um, again at some point. Jesus. <laughs> All right, finishing off at 181. Tom, you're taking wide receiver Bo Melton from Rutgers. Yeah, so Bo Melton, a guy that really impressed me at the senior bowl, actually, in terms of how he was winning. Um, he is a crafty route runner. He, um, he has good ball skills, not exceptional ball skills, but he's good at tracking the deep ball. Um, and then he's got 4-3-4 speed. And for me, if you can get someone with that package in the sixth round, you're not doing too badly at all. So at this point, you're looking at guys who can contribute ideally on special teams as well. And Melton has some punt and kick return ability and has shown it so far. So he's a guy that I am gambling on, yes, hopefully taking some snaps um, as a receiver, 
but also someone who would be very much in the mix for that return game as well. And hopefully someone where we can utilize that 4-3-4 speed. And then finishing, oh, sorry. Nope, all right. Finishing us off for round six, your final pick, Tom, is the offensive guard slash tackle, Chris Paul out of Tulsa. Yeah, and I would have put a disclaimer out that the fact I didn't take Bam Alassani here is an absolute disgrace, and I don't know what I was thinking at the time, so let's get that out there. Um, however, in this case, it is Chris Paul whose name is down, so in between writing uh, songs over the past 15, 20 years, he has now turned into a guard and tackle prospect at Tulsa. Um, no, so he, he is predominantly a guard, um, hyper-athletic guy, so 320-plus pounds, but he ran a 48940. Um, he has the length to play tackle, and that's where he has been playing at Tulsa recently. So he does have that kind of swing, um, swing tackle abili um, ability or positional versatility really more than swing tackle, but I see him more so as a guard. Um, and it's somewhere where the Lions don't have a huge amount of depth. Um, it's somewhere where obviously Vitae performed really nicely next week, uh, last year, but we don't know how long he will be here. Um, and he's a developmental guy who I think has big potential. And at this point in the draft, you're really just looking for the guys who you think have the upside to stick with the roster. Um, and that's someone that I really think Paul can become. Steve, you're finishing your draft off with defensive tackle Thomas Booker from Stanford. Yeah, I'm, I'm at the point of the uh, the mock draft where um, I'm just winging it. Um, <laughs> I, have the, uh, the, I haven't put the hours in on tape that uh, uh, Ryan and uh, Ant in particular have, um, but I think at this point we should be maybe taking a punt on a tackle. Um, so there's a guy called Thomas Booker from Stanford, uh, three foot three, six foot three, £301, um, he it looks a unit. Um, he's a pretty physical guy. So he packed on the muscle. Apparently, a lot of teams are also looking at him as a potential future offensive lineman. Um, but yeah, this is the, exactly this, the kind of um, you know dart thrown at the dartboard that we're, that lines probably um, could take at this point. All right, I'm rounding out mine now, addressing that tight end position late with. The tight end Austin Allen out of Nebraska. He was the Big Ten tight end of the year, as voted for by the Big Ten media. He was a second team selection from the Big Ten coaches. A kind of average athleticism guy, so ran a four eight three forty, slightly better in the ten yard split, which is is good of one six seven. But he's got the frame to start with, six foot seven and a half tight end um but he's not going to be a blocker either i don't think only eight bench reps is a 0.16 rate on on a tight end in terms of raz i mean you're not going to find many guys who can't bench press that at six foot seven so that's, that's slightly worrying but this guy's got fantastic hands. In terms of pass-catching tight ends, you're not going to find much better in this draft. At around seven, you've got an absolute steal here. So I think that's going to be really, really good pick. And maybe a little bit of redundancy with Brock Wright already being here and kind of being that super athletic guy who can catch the ball and do a little bit for you at that position. So 
maybe doubling up a bit when, as, as Ant rightly said, you kind of want to be focusing on someone who can actually do a bit more blocking. But at this position, your blocking tight ends are actually going a bit higher than where I am. So it's about just trying to get someone who can come in and, and challenge some guys for roster spots. So led the Big Ten in tight ends for receiving yards, 15.8 yards per reception. There's 38 receptions, 602 yards, including 143 yards in one game against Wisconsin, which is pretty outstanding for a tight end. So on his day, he can be a bit game-breaking. Um, all right, we'll move this on to Ryan. And you are rounding off your mock by going tight end Joshua Babich from NDSU. Yep. Uh, these aren't my words. These are PFNs and Ollies. I've just found them online now. He looks to initiate and dominate. You won't find many better blockers in this class. Six foot six, 115 pounds. He is an absolute mauler in a very run heavy offense. He moves the pile. He creates holes for running backs. And apparently, he seems like he's quite nasty. Now, in three years, he's never topped more than 300 yards. But out of 40 catches, he's got 11 touchdowns. So his touchdown ratio is really good compared to most tight ends that are declaring. So for some late value, he offers what we don't have because TJ is blocking his ass. He's just not a very good blocker, like I say. But we need someone that offers red zone threat and is able to block. So I'm going to throw a dart at this guy because he seems like he can do at least one of those two. All right. Last pick of this mock is Ant, and he is going interior offensive line. Keenan Forbes out of Florida, A at M. So, yeah, this is the only Lions mock draft you are going to find anywhere on the internet that contains a double dip from UConn and a double dip from Florida, A and M, down in the FCS. Um, as I was saying earlier, you know, me and Ryan have done a lot of work into our hbcu knowledge this year and you know this isn't just sort of like a woke thing where i'm picking guys from there for the hell of it there's a hell of a lot of talent to be had and to be found down there and i've gone the safety earlier but like i've said we need depth on the offensive line we are in a position where we can take these guys a bit later on and give them time to train we've got tommy kramer at guard if we need to bring him in but keenan forbes i love this guy um, you know me, I love my aggressive interior line guys. I've always been a big Logan Stenberg fan, although unfortunately I think that boat has sailed there. But Keenan Forbes really reminds me a lot of him. So he's 6'2", he is 330 pounds. This guy has found success wherever he's gone with Florida A&M. He's got yeah. two... He's got two first-team selections with the old MIAP oh, when they played in that division. Down. He's got an all-SWAC first-team nomination from this year. So basically all the years he's played, he's made the first team in whatever division they have been in. He's had an elite season here. He's had 92 knockdowns. You know, this is a guy who puts defensive tackles and edge rushes on their arse. But it's not a case of he does it overtly aggressive like Logan Stenberg does, drawing penalties, drawing fouls. This guy does it in a way that it is aggressive and it is dominating, but it's not illegal. This is a guy who, again, they they excel in both parts of the game. So the last two years, their offensive line has only given up eight sacks in 11 games both years. Only one of them is on him. So this is a guy who is really good in pass protection, and they're also one of the best run insides 
down in the FCS, they have rushed the ball a lot here. So he excels in both parts of the game. But like I say, at this point in time, you are coming in with guys who they have bits that need to be harnessed. In this case, again, the aggression does need to be harnessed a little bit and needs to be utilised to go through properly. But, you know, this is just an area of college football that doesn't get a lot of uh, get a lot of looks. And I know the Lions have been doing a lot of work on the HBCU guys this year. I really think he's a guy who can come in this year and with a bit of fine-tuning can come in and give you something different on the offensive line. Like I say, that little bit of punch, that little bit of aggression, especially when it comes to the run game. You know, we need depth all over. So I've addressed tackle and guard now. And I think with those two, you're going to have some nice pieces of depth running forward on the line and that is what you need if you're going to be challenging towards off seasons and that so Keenan Forbes I I I yeah watch out for this guy I think he's going to be really good at the next level and I think if we have our wits about us we'll we'll go for him all right there you have it that is our full seven rounds mock draft for the Lions please let us know what you reckon in the comments or on Twitter with what we've gone for here. Um, anything anyone else want to bring up before I round this off? Because we've been going a while. I just hope that one of us lands on one pick this year. It'd be embarrassing if we didn't. We went 0 for 30 last year. Um, and I would just like at least one. Would be nice. Yeah, one of us to be right somewhere once would be really, really good. <laughs> Surely at two, someone's got to get it between Hutch, Kayvon and Hamilton. Surely. It's going to be, it's going to be sourced now, isn't it? Just to like give us a big middle finger. I still think we're trading down. I do, but I just don't know who would do it. But again, this is the problem I have with Willis. If he's such a superstar... And one and two are just begging to be traded and no one wants it. How much of a superstar is he? You know, it's what you trade up to get. The guy you trade up to get. And no one's buying. All right, we're going to round it off here. So that was the end of our last episode before the 2022 NFL Draft. And you'll want to join us for... Yep. Maybe not. Me and Steve discussed we might be on next Monday. Um, talking draft in general so keep an eye out just in case that we do oh okay look out for that one then but we're definitely well to tell you what we're doing as well we are definitely going to be here throughout the 2022 nfl draft so it starts thursday april 28th it's just 10 days from now and 10 days from now about three hours from now the lions should be making that pick at number two if we haven't traded out so Please join us for the coverage of all three days. We should be live all the way through. If you want to have some company and chat along with us during the draft, you'll be able to see those videos get scheduled shortly and we'll tweet out some links for those. Don't forget to follow us on our socials as well. We're going to be very, very active during that period too on Twitter, especially Royal Alliance UK there or on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook and Instagram. Facebook group for worldwide fans, Detroit Alliance fans, UK One Pride Worldwide and the website Royal Alliance UK. If you can subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or on Anchor or Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever you can do to help us out, be much, much appreciated. If you can, five stars or whatever rating you want to give us any feedback. Also, welcome to uh, Bigger Ed says, will I be glued to my phone on vacation? If I go on vacation, which is the big problem with me having 
COVID as of this morning, that vacation is under threat. So we'll see what happens with that. But I'm hoping to join the podcast for some of the crucial times if I do get out there on Zoom and, and call in perhaps from LA, which is where I'll be during the all three days, actually. So it'll be really interesting to see how the guys are doing from there. But if you are still here after three hours, thank you so much. As always, our, our videos go and and pods go very long this time of year because quite frankly we've done a lot of work and we've got a lot to talk about and instead of artificially trying to make it short and sweet we just want to tell you everything you want to know i'm conscious of the fact that a lot of people are going to find it too long if you're still here we really appreciate you guys thank you so much for doing it for us for this cycle for this nfl year as i kind of like to think that this is the end now of one season and the new one starts in 10 days time and we will see you for the new year then perhaps on monday too for a little bit of an update but for now for ant and ryan and steve for tom and for the guest oliver hodgkinson who was fantastic thank you very much for joining us let's go lions one pride one pride, one pride.